right, everybody, and welcome to the live stream interview with Dr. Louis Ditsoli. I am your host, Theory Plebe, or just Plebe, or Dave. Welcome, doctor. Oh, sorry, we're alive now. <laughs> we're alive now, yeah, yes. I'm very bad with those things, yes. Uh, thank you, welcome <laughs> to... <laughs> yeah, I I was like we're going live now, and I think I think it was just because I, we had been talking for a little while, so um, it it felt like nothing had changed, right? But um, I've you know the 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 starting soon thumbnail had been playing for probably five minutes, so a few people have already joined us. Uh, welcome everybody in the chat. Uh, I'm really excited for this conversation. So I'll just say a couple of things um, as a as a sort of introduction, and then I'll let you kind of. Uh, expand on the introduction, but uh, uh, doc, Dr. Louis uh, Dissoli, or sorry, Louis Dissoli, I, 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 I was in the habit of saying Louise until you told me, no, it's Louis, because it's Louis French. Dissoli. Yeah, it's French. Um, mm -hmm. So you don't pronounce the T, the T of the dit. So Louis Dissoli. Oh, D. Oh, okay. Louis Dissoli. Dissoli. Oh, it'll take a little bit to get mm -hmm. used to that. Uh, That's okay. I'm used to Wonderful. I'm used to all kind of uh, a distortion of the name. <laughs> yeah. You call me Ditsuli, it's Louis Ditsuli. But anyway, you can call me Christine. It's much, much easier. Fantastic. And so there's a few reasons that I've been really excited to, to talk with you. Um, I think the main one is I wanted to give people in my audience and in my life more generally an opportunity to hear you, to hear your perspective, to be able to think about things because there's been a lot of conversation on race in the last few years uh, do the work has become a kind of meme and often when people say that I, I'm not exactly sure what they mean by that often it's read one of these bestsellers one of these popular bestsellers that talks about racism or anti-racism or anti-black racism identity politics CRT you know there's all these different kinds of buzzwords that circulate today and a lot of the people who enter the discourse are coming from the sort of uh, either from the establishment Democrat versus Republican spectrum or the, a little bit broader than that, but still kind of presuming a lot of the same frameworks, the media sphere here in the United States. Well, I think that there's a lot of ways that that's limited and that you have kind of shown a light on all of that in your own ways. But uh, one thing I wanted to highlight is that you have two PhDs and that you spent a lot of time with the first one in the hard sciences before getting another PhD in somewhere in the humanities. Is that right? Uh -huh, uh -huh. And so I think that you bring, you bring a lot more to, to the conversation. Um, I've been rereading your book, Transcending Racial Divisions, which was published by Zero Books last year. And it's, it's, you spend a lot more time uh, on the, the history of the development of racial thinking and racism as two separate things that are obviously related um, and and how this developed um, through the sciences but more importantly you talk about its development as something that is specifically historical and social and political um, I'm wondering if you would like to add anything to the introduction there about yourself um, or or if I should just jump straight into the questions. <laughs> I mean, about myself, no, um, and I'm not, I mean, 
uh, I think it's in, in the book, um, I mean, how I started to, maybe I could say how I started to be uh, involved in the discussion or something, no? Or, right. So what was your... Or do you want me to do the personal? Because I don't talk much about personal life, so... Well, I guess I did want to touch a little bit on personal stuff before we move into it. And I guess the main thing I would ask is, um, have you lived, studied, or done any kind of research in in the United States? Uh, lived, yes. I mean, research, yes. I mean, uh, like you said, I was, um, my career, my first career was in science. In, uh, uh, I did, uh, I was a res research biologist. And so I did uh, my study actually in science in, in what you call natural sciences where in Britain. Mm. I mean, I studied, I studied also in France, but in France was completely different. I studied agronomy, so science of agriculture. Then I study. Uh, I'm a, somebody who studies a lot. Uh, some like my parents always say, uh, you keep having uh, accumulation of diplomas. So I study in France, and then I study in England, um, both the first and the second degrees in biology, and then uh, so I did my uh, PhD in England, and then I did my uh, first postdoc, well, several postdoc in America. So I live in America for the past six years. And then I uh, went back to Europe and uh, I did an, a work again in, in research in Germany. And this is where I am now in Germany. And I decided to uh, leave science, uh, the bench research science, and concentrate more on the researching ideas because this is what interests me. It's researching ideas uh, more widely than just uh, um, hard natural sciences. So more, uh, in the beginning it was more science and politics. And then um, I um, decided to do a second PhD because it gives you access to universities. This is the things about you know free speech and all that kind of access to knowledge because when you want to do research, uh, it's very difficult to do it as an individual. Um, a lot of the uh, academic papers and a lot of academic journals are very expensive to, to, um, to have access to. So I decided to do my research through uh, another PhD, and then I started on race. Um, I always been, I mean, of course, race has always been an issue for me, one way or the other, personal and political, because I used to be a, what you call a, a, a hard left a revolutionary communist. Um, so race, has, race and racism has always been an issue in that sense, but I've never wanted to have it as a a subject that you know at least when i was younger when you're black people will think well you're doing research or you're doing your study on race on racism that was always something that uh, people was kind of stereotype you know if you're black you might be interested in the issue of racism and so i refuse to be a um, stereotype on that issue uh, the reason why i'm doing it now is because i'm i started to be a little bit tired of the some of the ideas coming back and making creating more of a problem than anything else. And uh, this is what I wrote in the book. Uh -huh. um, in the beginning, I, I felt like I was starting to be seen as Christian, as an individual, and then now I'm starting to be seen again as a black woman with specific ideas. And this is how I started to to be um, involved in the issue of race again. So, and I did my PhD on the, on the identity politics on race. As a, as a, um, I'm talking a lot, huh? Yeah, you're doing as a great job. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, well, I, I can I, I take a lot. Um, but anyway, uh, several things. Um, there is some personal stuff and some uh, political stuff who make me decided to do uh, a PhD on the identity politics and identity politics. Uh, and I decided to concentrate on racial identity. Uh, I could have also uh, done on women identity or, or sexual identity, but I decided to do identity politics and racial identity. And looking at why black students, for example, were wanted to ask for safe space and how they see anti-racism, and this is how I started. Uh, but the book is the book is really an initial book. It was more of a, I wrote it because it was more of a reaction to some of the ideas. Uh, it's not in my research. I mean, my PhD is a bit further than that. It's it's more of a, it was more of a me saying, hold on a minute, we are going wrong. I don't want to be seen again as only a black woman with a specific point of view. And this is not anti-racism. That's what the book is about. Right. We need to go back to something different. Yeah, you talk in the book about having your... how this idea of of oh you're you're a representative of the group you're you're supposed to be a mouthpiece for for a group now meaning that your ideas are not qualified as good or bad ideas but instead as whether or not they're the appropriate ideas to be expressed by your identity category exactly i mean uh it, it, it's I found it absolutely patronizing. Uh, I mean, it's it's useful for some people, but I found it also patronizing to, so when you talk about race now, it's like, oh, you're a black woman, so you must know about racism and anti-racism or race issue, simply because you experience racism. So it's basically um, kind of, they don't look at me like whether or not my point of views are right or wrong. They're just kind of looking at me as a, a, a category, uh, a, a member of a groups, and automatically my point of views are being taken as special compared to everybody else. And it's a bit like a pat in your head. So yeah, yeah, we know about it. you know you know about these things. And and for me, it's also really not only patronizing, but also against any. If you if you're interested in making the world better, it's really against knowledge and against understanding the world and against making things better because. Basically, you're saying that something that is given into my uh, race is telling me what's right and what is wrong, and you, you know you cannot have any more discussion. There was quite a lot of there is quite a lot of ideas that really kind of started to um, annoy me. That's that's how I started to um, I started to try to understand what's happening with this racial identity. Um, I have to say that when I started when I started to do the research. Uh, I'm European, so I always thought naively that the idea of race um, was already, um, you know, everybody knew that race doesn't exist as biology category. For me, it was also because not only in European, but I'm a scientist. So as scientist and in European, the idea of race as a biological category for me was just like old uh, 20th century, you know, before the World War Two. Right. When I started to read about uh, what's happening in America, I was quite shocked because a lot of the, I'm not talking about the books, but more ordinary Americans or people who are online discussing uh, race as a biological category. And I realized that there was a lot of the issue that I thought was already moved on was still 
important in other parts of the world, especially in America. I mean, the idea of race as a biological category is still very much believed in in some corners in America, which was kind of a naive, I was naive, but it was kind of a shock. And so that's why I also I started to do the book as, as a way of challenging that too. And was was that uh, is that idea that race is a real biological category? Um, is that something that you were seeing on the left as well? It's not. It's not. They don't. Um, it's not on the left as such. It's more like um, a lot of people will say it's race is a a, a, a social construct. So you have the people more on the right, we say it's a biological construct. And then you will have some uh, left, we say uh, race is a social construct. But when you look at the, what they are saying, it's the same as the biological construct. So, for example, they will argue not, uh, and it's not, uh, it's not only left, right. It's not, I don't think it's a, stress, a strong uh, left, right um, issue. Uh, but when people are arguing for a social construct, especially the social sciences, when you look at them, um, they, they are arguing it's an ancestry. Uh, so ancestry, what is ancestry for, oh, at the end of the day? It is biology, you know, your 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 father, your mother, your grandmother, i.e. your blood. Uh, they will say it's uh, the cultural, and so that's why I also look at the, in the book. Uh, they're making it cultural as if it was something really uh, fixed and determined and innate. Uh, innate, innate, this is innate in English. Um, so um, it's not a left or right, it's more like uh, the biological construct, you can find it still left and right, and then the social construct is very much understood in the same way as the biological um, category. So basically, the problems for me is that the rest, the idea of race is very much present in the 21st century, which where, where I thought that it has been, uh, I mean, it was uh, only a few, uh, I always thought that it was a minority of people who wanted to keep the race issue, but uh, the, in fact, the rest, race is still very much um, seen as real in the sense of um, is race is real, but in the sense of innate, innate or, or outside uh, humans' um, um, actions. I'm trying to say it, it's. When when I when I when I argue against the race uh, being a biological category, I'm still saying it's race is a reality, but it's a reality because it has importance in our real world. Right. But when people are talking about so so it has consequences. You cannot just say well let's forget about race because race the fact that I am a black and you are white makes a difference in our experience of the world and in our uh, um, life. Yes. Right. So race is real in that sense. But for me, you have to understand that it is not a biological or scientific category, but it's the product of our uh, uh, social um, world. So it's a social, um, it's, it's historically specific, because it depends on the history, it's socially specific, and it's also politically, but it's a social and historically specific project. Right. So it's not innate, it's not gun given, it's not natural, it's a product of history and of and of our social world, our society, right? And that's what we have to challenge. We have to we have to understand that to be able to challenge racism, 
am I am I clear? Um, I think I think so, and I I think something that you you said is, and let me let me see if I'm getting it right. Is that um, even when the, the people will say, oh, it's a social construct, you know, it's a cultural thing, it's not It's not this rigid biological category that was invented by these scientific racists, blah, 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 which is a very standard thing to hear, I think, from a liberal left kind of, you know, identity politics position when it's anti-racist, is, you know, oh, it's social construct and stuff. There's still um, a lot of the kinds of, uh, the baggage of that other way of thinking, that, uh, that where it's, it's race essentialism, Either way, maybe maybe we were calling it, you know, race essentialism can say, oh, it's because of biology or it can say, oh, it's because of culture. But either way, it's essentialist, it's reductive and it's deterministic, I think. Right. Mm -hmm. And so exactly. I mean, they look, they look at race in a very historical way, trans historical. That's the reason why you have quite a lot of book trying to argue that race existed uh, throughout human history. And this is not true. Right. The way people look, uh, see each other, the way people see uh, each other and see themselves, is historically specific and socially specific. Socially specific not only because of the different society that we have throughout uh, human history, but also from different society uh, across the world. People do not see themselves in the same way in different society. Uh, and people do not see themselves uh, and see each other the same way throughout history. And race is, uh, um, uh, in fact, a notion that was developed only in the 18th, 19th century, fully developed in the 19th century. And the meaning of race had a lot of, uh, the, the race has several meanings throughout uh, history. And I, I think in, you spent you spend more time perhaps in this book than in a lot of the books I've read on the topic going through actually how different these reconceptualizations of race have been over the course of, especially modernity, you're focusing on the development of this term through modernity. And, uh, and uh, yeah, you, you really, you really get into the history a lot. I was learning a lot yesterday, going over it again. Uh, An offer you should, uh, I mean, I wrote it on the beginning of the book. Um, I'm, I'm advertising another offer, but, um, the author that I'm re relying uh, very much on is Kenan Malik. Right. If you if you really want to, uh, I mean, for me, it's one of the best author on race. Um, he has a uh, um, uh, one book called the meaning of the meanings of race. Yeah, the meaning of race. Yeah, right. Yeah, the, you've you've cited so, that a few times in here, I think. And it yeah. Is... Uh, and so he's basically looking at the different meanings throughout uh, the history of um, uh, racial thinking. Uh, he also had quite a few books, and he's got one who's starting, uh, going to go out and publish in uh, January next year. You, you know, I'm advertising him <laughs> at the same time. But anyway, you have a few people who do write to show you how the 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 uh, notions of race is historically historically sorry not historically historically specific and also socially specific. And he's one of those, um, uh, and his books are bigger, so he's got more more inf informations about uh, uh, the developments of the issue of race. But I wanted to, the book, the reason why I did that is because for me, you cannot fight anti-racism if you still believe in the issue of race. But there is a difference between me and other people because some people were saying, well, let's, uh, are you calling colorblind? I'm not colorblind. I do not support the issue of colorblindness because colorblind is basically saying, if you forget about the issue of race, 
if you forget about uh, ra ra basically racism, things will be better. And it's, I'm not talking about intellectually uh, or psychologically forgetting about the issue of race. I'm saying that we have to transcend the notion that the world can be divided into race. Right. Uh, so it's it's not a psychological or in, in uh, problems or an educational problem. It's a political problems, but also it's a um, intellectual problem in the sense of the way we understand humanity, the the way we understand humanity, the way we understood humanity in the past, and the way we understand humanity today. And today we understand humanity through the issue of race, and that has to be challenged. And unless we challenge that, we cannot fight uh, racism because racism would also change throughout history and throughout society. We, we still exist as long as we have the issue of race. Right. And so Am I clear? You are. I think. I, I think. I think you're doing a fantastic job. And anybody in the chat, if 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 it's not clear, because for me, maybe. It might seem more clear to me than it would to somebody in the chat, and so that's one of the wonderful things about being able to do this live, is if if it's clear in my head because I actually spent some time do, you know doing the reading and all of this stuff, but it's not clear for you all. Go ahead and ask that. But I do have in my mind, you know, in this conversation, a lot of people in my life who who want to do the right thing. They you know that they don't want to be racist, but more importantly, they want. They don't like racism. And and so there's currently different perspectives on how one ought to be against racism and that those kind of hinge on how one defines racism. And I think you've kind of given given hints in that direction so far. But I want to reframe the whole thing by, by putting a specific question forward. And I re actually wrote this one down. I said, so pe people today, especially workers in my life, say things have never been so political and I, I believe you say something quite the contrary in your work that the culture war with its focus on identity and culture and race is anti-political so I'm curious about your usage of this term anti-politics and you would and what you would say to those those workers in my life who are saying everything has become so politicized it's because I do not understand um, the, I do not have the same understanding of politics. So what I mean by anti-political anti is that the fact that um, the, those issues are becoming a part of politics, it means that they're destroying politics. And so when people are complaining that things are being politicized, in fact, it's in best what they, are, what they are saying, and what I also agree, is that they are, uh, those things that are politicized should not be politicized and that it becomes anti-political. So I'm following the idea in, in a way more than anything else. So <clears throat> for me, politics is about, uh, it's, uh, I mean, I have to do more research on that, but for me, politics is, it's the, um, it's a human notions. It's purely a human notion. It's, it's, the, it's for humans to be able to understand the world and uh, create a world that is better for themselves. So it's, uh, um, uh, they're going to go against nature and create a world together that makes it better. So there is this, always this um, uh, ability for humans to think rationally and uh, Im imagine something that will be better for themselves, yes? so. If you have politics today that is about, for example, um, 
uh, whether or not you should sleep with your sister or not, or your brother, kind of, you know, those uh, they, or, or how much uh, vegetable you should have on a plate for your kids. This is not politics. But this is what is seen as politics today. Mm. So what is seen as politics today is uh, uh, basically discussions about uh, human uh, basic needs, necessities, everyday life, uh, 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 people's interrelationship, uh, relationship between race, and that is not what is politics. That's why it's, I say it's anti-politics because it's also anti-human too. If you um, uh, in, in the book, I look at how racial identity is a, a development, an anti-human development, uh, and uh, and being anti-humans is also anti-political because politics is a human. Um, I mean, politics politics was developed uh, uh, at least. Uh, from the Greek, and it was as a way of uh, basically you realize that you are uh, you can create a society that goes away from the natural world. So it's a separation between the natural world and the social world. And if you go, if you if you bring politics back to the natural world and how we should live and how we should go to the toilet and eat and, and put our clothes up, you're going back against the notion of politics itself. Uh, and, and racial identity is also that. In, in the politics, you look at uh, uh, um, rational human beings making decisions, understanding the world uh, rationally, making decisions about what they should be. Racial identity is saying that we are determined by our race. It's anti-political. It's anti-human. It's also anti-political. It's anti-human. So, so it's, it's, I mean, racial identity is definitely anti-human. Uh, anti, yeah, anti-human, anti-human. So you're speaking in American way, but um, uh, yes. Well, and I like I like the the you bring up in the book this idea of humanism a few times, and then you actually clarify it very importantly, because some people take humanism to simply mean it's having morality without God, right, or or a secular kind of worldview. And you're saying no, that's not what I mean. That's not what I mean by humanism. What I mean by humanism, and let's see if I get this right, was that it's about humans have the potential to reason. Humans have the potential for freedom. Humans have the potential to work together in ways that that transcend our mere biology and, and that transcend mere, you know, the reproduction of our, our bare life or, or, or of, nece of necessity. Um, and so it's not just about survival of the fittest. It's not just about this group winning at the expense of another group, that those are these, those are anti-human in the sense that they're, they have nothing to do with reason. They have nothing to do with freedom and they have nothing to do with working together. Is that, is that what, would you say that's your definition of humanism? Yeah, human, for me, humanism is uh, the notion, say, the notion of uh, humanity having the capacity to uh, think about the world, about themselves, about nature. So there's the social world, natural world, and about themselves, and uh, and to make decisions and challenge that. So they will they have possibility to change the world around them and to change themselves. And um, this is what, how, so basically humanism is based on the, no, on, on the very specific notion of human that is not accepted today. And it's not accepted. If you have a world where you have a racial identity, national identity, cultural identity, uh, um, 
this is uh, oh, sexual identity or oh, actually the, all these things or the fact that we are determined by our biology you have a notion of human that is for me anti-human because you're restricted you're basically saying that we are i mean we are determined uh, don't get me wrong there is also a problem with the determined i'm talking about causal determination yes because we are determined in life uh, there is things that we have to um we are influenced by our biology, we're influenced by the world that we're living, so we are determined. But I'm talking about causally determined by something. So the race, uh, racial identity is saying that you are, because you're black, you think that, because you're white, you think, for example, you know, this idea, because you're white, you're racist. This is causal, so you are white, racist. Black, anti-racist, yes? I'm talking about, uh, and but we have a determination, women are determined in the sense that there is several things that determine our world. We don't make our world. I mean, you're mm-hmm. born in 21st century, you haven't chosen it. And you're born with a certain specific point of view from certain families, so you're determined, but not causally determined. And so you have a point of view today that, uh, that human, that is anti-human in the sense that they are preventing this idea that humanity can be in control of their destinies, that we are rational uh, beings that can basically make decisions about ourselves and about the world. And humanism is basically to, it has to be based on this human, on this rational human beings, basically, that is not there. So we have the potential to create something that is not natural, that is not God-given. Perfect. And I actually, there's a, a uh, soda cabbage in the chat says, I love that politics being when we reflect on and change our world, not naturalizing what exists as biologically determined. Uh, soda cabbage also asked a question that I think probably fits really well here in the conversation. Um, it kind of goes back to something that had come up a little earlier about the social construction aspect of all of this. The question goes, what are some of the ways race is constructed as compared to how it was constructed or perceived in the past? What are the ways? So what are some of the ways race is constructed as compared to how it was constructed or perceived in the past? I think part of the reason that might be confusing is because you had actually said race didn't exist in the past. Um, that, oh, okay, okay. Right? That's and what so, said, so, yeah. so, how has how has this idea emerged in history, and how has it changed? Is probably another way to say. It. Uh, okay, when you look at um, because when 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 you when very often when you said that race didn't exist in the past, people would say, well, yeah, there was a lot of people who were different. When you are arguing that the race uh, were not is not a scientific or biological category. What you say, it doesn't mean that people didn't uh, were not different from you know they they didn't look different or they they didn't form different cultural groups. So human variation is one of the uh, beauty of uh, humanity. For me, it is one of the beauty of humanity. Human variation, and human complex, human complexity is the beautiful part of humanity that I love. Mm. But the way that people are seeing in the past, the way people lived, for example, in the Greek, it wasn't based on the issue of rest. It was based on the, uh, in fact, in fact, for them, when they were looking at differences, they very often saw differences through the environment. They will say that, you know, there were some people of black skin because it was hot in their country. So this idea that if you are black in hot country, then you could become white in a colder country. So there was nothing fixed. 
about uh, the way that they um, understood uh, the different uh, biological um, aspect of it. But it was more of a community thing. Um, people, people saw human variation. This is not something that, you know, you cannot go away from seeing it. But you don't have to uh, divide humanity into groups of fixed races. And that you are doing a bargaining that the biological differences between different groups can explain people's mental, physical ability, intellectual abilities. This is what race is about. It's basically saying that you can define groups of people, define groups of people, and then this, this definition that is biological or ancestry can explain, causally explain, uh, people's mental ability, intellectual ability, physical ability, or even, you know, musical ability or whatever, artistic ability. This is how they do it. You know, black people uh, can understand rhythm. Really? I mean, there's something about your black skin that makes you more rhythmic. I, mean, I grew up with this idea that somehow if you're black, you you know about dancing. I can show you as a, blo uh, as a young kid, I was quite stressful because I'm more, more intellectual than a um, dancer. So at six, Six years old, I was forced to know how to dance because black people know how to dance. That's what I was told. You know, somehow there was something about me that makes me want to go dancing. Say, I love dancing now, but you know, you know what I mean? It's, it's somehow that some races, the, the, the race that you belong to can causally determine your mental, intellectual, and musical ability or artistic ability or whatever. And that's what is race. And in the past, in the, in the Greek, or in other um, history, people did not see it that way. They were looking at uh, cultures, uh, uh, the barbarians, in, for example, for the Greek, where uh, as much people from the north, the um, you know the north uh, European, the white, uh, as the black in Africa or other people around them in the, in the in around the Middle East. Uh, so, in fact, when you look at history, we went from the Greek who look at uh, citizenship. So the, for them, it was like to be a citizen was the highest part of being a human to uh, religions. So then you end up being, um, you separated the people into religious, so the religious community. Today, we are into racial community. And this is sad, how we separate, the, uh, how we see the world through a race. race. And this is what, uh, and in this, this idea of seeing the world through race started in the 17th, 18th century, basically pretty much 18th century, when we started to develop this notion that we can see the world through the notion of race, through the notion of race, but also through the notion of race competition, because that's what racial thinking is, is to divide the world into races and to think that the world and history can be understood through racist competition. And that's started with the 18th century and um, America and uh, uh, Europe and um, yeah. In fact, when you look at the meaning of race, I'm talking again. <laughs> um, um, you know, at some point, race was used to um, explain the inequality between um, the upper class and the lower class. So the poor people were from different races from the the um, aristocrat, for example. So race wasn't only about color. Uh, I can't hear you. Okay, there we go. Oh, yeah. Okay, thank you. Sometimes I talk for a long time and then, and then people realize, <laughs> no, you're not talking. Get it right. Um, 
this this brings up the the idea that um, you know. Well, of course, you know, black people are poor because they've been historically disadvantaged and, and white people who are poor. Well, I mean, they're just I mean, wow. I mean, ooh, well, <laughs> if they can't if they can't if you're if you have all that privilege and you still can't make it work for you, then what's what the fuck is wrong with you? You must be a real idiot, you know? <laughs> yeah, you must be you're not working hard enough. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I uh, yeah. Look, save and invest better. You know, this is uh, I, I remember. Gosh, it was pro- I was I was pretty early to to political things and made the mistake of going on Twitter, and I saw somebody on there, uh, you know the quote unquote this person was part of quote unquote Black Twitter, you know, and uh, she was saying basically the exact she was saying exactly that she was saying that it just it, that it it makes her sick to think of of a white person having all that privilege and not being able to. To, to use it to leverage out of their situation. Um, and so she was disgusted by this idea that we need to care about these people. And, uh, and that was, you know, obviously that's a minoritarian position. I don't think that's like, a, I don't think that that, I don't even think you'd, you would, someone like Robin D'Angelo or Kimber Max Kendi is, I, I suspect smart enough to not say something like that. But, but it's one of those moments when, when, not only when, so the, you know, a person says it and then people kind of just like laugh at it or something like, haha, you know, it, that kind of tells you something. It's like, this is, if it's not normalized, it's at least kind of like, oh, it's funny. You know, there's nothing funny about poverty though, you know, and that's, and that's what's so upsetting for me is like, this is, you know, th- there's, it's not a, it's not a joke, you know, poverty and, and, and that the idea of it has been so heavily racialized now that almost you can't you can't even talk about poverty without on the liberal left without saying well you know this disproportionately impacts x y and z categories as though we only should care about it because it's disproportionately impacting some minorities and it's like well let's just say that poverty wasn't disproportionately impacting minorities would we still care about it I hope, you know, I hope it would still be like the the issue. Um, but you know, but one of the problems with these uh, things, uh, you, you, I mean, I can understand your frustration, but um, <clears throat> I, I don't want, uh, I don't do politics to, uh, and I can also understand that, I mean, a lot of people would be um, resenting, uh, show a lot of resentment because of those kind of ideas. This is not my. Um, I don't. I don't support uh, any politics of um, politics of resentment. What I uh, I call because that's what some people do. I think the the problems with those ideas is that um, uh, it, it's that you basically putting the blame uh, on the social problems onto a category uh, of people. So basically, you're doing also. First of all, you're doing the uh, reverse. Of what the racists uh, are arguing, because you're saying that uh, be, because you're white, you have somehow uh, uh, some um, uh, specific attitudes, which you used to say that for minorities, and then you are arguing that uh, so for some reason the white uh, poor are, are basically uh, chosen to be poor, and despite their privilege. Two points: privilege, the idea of privilege, white privilege, is wrong. Is putting the issue of racism in the other way around. 
the problems of race, racism, is that some minorities did not have equal rights. Yes? The problems of white privilege is that for some reason, when you have rights, you are privileged. So you're putting the notions of racism in the other way around. So that's why you could end up having a, a white uh, a child starving to death, and you can still talk about a white privilege. You can be dead and you still be about, unless you're, well, I mean, dead because you'll be, maybe you lose your, your privilege. But just by starving, you will have a little bit of white privilege simply because you're white. So what you're basically saying is that having rights, having rights, or uh, having the ability to live uh, properly in society is a privilege and that uh, uh, somehow what we want is to have the black to have privilege when it's, it's the other way around what we and what other and minorities were asking is the equal rights so the right to be able to have a, a, a job or the right to be able to have uh, you know civil civil liberties it was to be able to have the right that you did not have do you understand what i'm trying to say is that the white privilege put the racism in the other way around. It is not a privilege to have rights. I I think I understand, but I also it's, I it's, also know what someone would say to that. Who would say they'd say, okay, so I understand. So I'm going to play devil's advocate. I understand that you're saying it's it's it should not be seen as a privilege to have basic human rights that basic human rights are not a privilege, they're basic human rights. Um, but then the, the people who would say this are going to say, well, you know, no, but the idea of privilege is more of this cultural category. It has to do with, you know, you walk into a room of white people, you don't have to worry about what you're going to say or how you're going to be seen as or treated differently because of, oh, you're, you know, you're just, you're assumed to be neutral or you're assumed to be like everyone else, right? Whereas if you come into that space and you are obviously different, then everyone's going to be like, oh, what's this person going to say? And then think that everything you say is, you know, see it all through this other lens. And they'll say, well, then, you know, we people take this kind of, this kind of privilege for granted. Oh, it's easy to walk into rooms, you know, full of white people, right? Like, yeah, but, you... but the privilege is the other way around. The, when you talk about white privilege, you're arguing, basically saying that the fact that you go into a room and you're not discriminated against is a privilege. It's not a privilege. It's what you're supposed to have. Right. And 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 the people who really have privilege, the, for example, the black rich, uh, the the black upper uh, the black upper class have privilege. They have the privilege of uh, even if their rights are, for example, are discriminated against in some uh, by laws or whatever. I'm talking about the minorities were uh, discriminated against. Even if their groups of people were discriminated against, they have the privilege of being protected from the discrimination because they were upper class. So right. the people who really have the privilege, actually the the class uh, with class, and uh, uh, are completely forgotten. And now the fact that you have the skin, the white, the proper skin is seen as a privilege simply because you have the right you should have or the the ability to be able to be free uh, is seen as a privilege. Uh, it, it's for me, it's, it's a bit like saying that you have this and then everybody underneath is right. And then everybody has the, the standard of got privilege and see the way around. So when you talk about white privilege, you also is aware of hiding the people who really have the privilege. Because right. if you're black, 
if you're black Obama, for example, I'm sorry to say you don't really have too much of a problems of racism in that sense that you can go further than other people. Because if you have the money, if you have the position, social position, you can do things that other people will not be able to do. You can do more than, uh, yeah. Sorry, it's, uh, my husband and my dog. Um, you can do, yeah, he's going out, so I need to know he's going out with the dog. You know, yeah. life carry on. But you know, uh, um, it, it, it's basically, um, it's, it's a way, for me, it's this discussion about white privilege, it's a way of preventing us to fight against racism. Right. Uh, it's not only that, but also against a, a, a way of uh, uh, challenging the social order that we live in, basically uh, a way of hiding the real social issue, the, social, the problems of society. Because basically saying it's, it's all about individual, it's a, an individual skin. Uh, and uh, you don't see you don't see the social um, uh, basically social system that creates those divisions. It's not seen anymore. I mean, I ha this white privilege thing is just for me. It's, it, it, it puts us. Uh, it puts the people against each other for no reason. Well, yes, for a reason. But I mean, that puts uh, us against each other uh, when in fact it should be the other way around. We should be able to uh, challenge. The issue of race or racism together, right? But you separate with the white privilege, and so yeah. I'm, I'm not denying that we have different experiences. You know, don't get me wrong, but this is not a privilege to have rights. Right. It it's an it's privilege. but it's an injustice if you do not have those rights. Yeah. Okay. You so you. But I mean, that's what anti-racism is about. At least in the past, it was to be able to. So, if you are a, 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 an African American, yes, and you are after slavery, slavery, you you when you fight against slavery, you fight for freedom. So basically, you're asking, you saying, I want the freedom that other people do not have. Sorry, sorry, do have. So I want the same freedom as everybody else have. Then you, when you when you were free, and you, when the African American were free, they wanted to have equal rights. The, the ability to be able to go to a job and say, it is my skills, uh, can I have this job because I'm the best one. So you would, they wanted to have the right that others were having. It's not as if, so the, the other people had the right, they were living in, prop, in not proper way, but they have a certain life. The black did, or the black or Native Americans, or other minorities did not have those rights. They were asking for the right the same way as it would be the yes. Today now they are saying those white people have a good life because they have rights, and we, uh, we basically what is when you look at the demands, now they are saying white people should be uh, feeling guilty and to blame. So by doing by saying those white people with the rights have privilege, now you're saying well maybe maybe we should have less privilege so that we can give it to other privilege. So basically you're putting everybody else down. You right. don't challenge racism. You're just basically putting Ibudes in with less rights, in one way. Right. It is really going in the wrong direction, and it's nothing to do with the left. Uh, um, I mean, the white privilege is for me. It's no. It's nothing left. It's conservative politics. Now, uh, I, I, and, and most of the left have conservative politics. And what was the last part? Conservative politics. Oh, it's. I'm a... saying the left is uh, the the left that you, especially in America, the progressive. Uh, the the left, the progressive, 
is conservative politics, reactionary conservative politics. Right. And and, it, and, and, and they call it themselves left, but it's nothing to do with um, uh, improving the world or a better world or transforming. It's a, a politics that keeps the status quo. For me, it... Well, and it's, it's not even new, which is, for me, you know, everyone's saying, oh, you know, you're white, so you need to shut up and sit down and you need to listen and you need to read. Um, ever since I've been involved with politics, I've, you know, I've taken, I, I think I used to take that very seriously into heart and be like, yes, that is what I should be doing. And I will listen and I will listen and I will keep reading. And uh, then in 2020, um, seeing uh, seeing what had been some kind of a ostensibly uh, working class social dem de democracy movement through Bernie um, kind of turn into this, you know, oh, it's, th there was no, no longer any positive, uh, you know, vision for the future. It was, uh, we just need to lock down, <laughs> lock down the world. Everyone needs to get the vaccine and, uh, and, you know, the BLM protest. And so, it, you know, it, being in the middle of locking down and, you know, the all of the political focus turning into this form of protest, um, I was doing a lot more reading than I had been on, on this specific issue. And that's when I, uh, well, I'd say it was probably about another year before I read your book. Uh, but I read a bunch of other books that set me up to, to be like, well, I don't think that this moment is, is as, uh, as, as hopeful as people are making it out to be because the demands on the table, the, de the main demands being made through these protests were, these are not really like leftist demands. These aren't, or these aren't even like demands for any kind of real freedom, you know, um, defund, <laughs> defund the police. Uh, what? That's not a, that is not, there's no, there's not a future in this, you know? And, and one could say, well, abolish. Yeah. Well, it's not, a, it's, it's, it's so impractical because it, it comes with, well, okay, so we're going to still have capitalism, but without, but without uh, a public police force, it'll just be privatized. Right. Like people are thinking that these kind of demands exist outside of the system that we live in. And so, you know, it, it, it seemed inherently con confusing like I, I just did I couldn't make sense of it but there's also a big gap between um, what some influencers involved in the movement and some activists or leaders in the movement will say which is you know oh this is actually about an anti-capitalist thing and actually you know in order to really combat systemic racism what we're really talking about is capitalism versus what was being said by the mainstream figures of BLM by the mainstream movement itself by the, or I mean, sorry, the, the organization that has the about page on the website that it doesn't say anything about capitalism. It just, it, it basically says, you know, bring a few more black people into the, the upper class is kind of what it said. And so I think it was when, when I, when I read your book, you brought together a lot of these other ideas. I still haven't read, uh, is it Malik? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I have not Can read Malik. Yeah. I have not read him yet. I look forward to doing so, but, um, it's, it's been, it's been a, it's been a struggle though. Um, being able to, to make sense of it all. I, I, I guess I want to kind of bring it back around for a moment 
and I'll, by the way, chat, I will, I will check in on chat. I'll make sure to look at the questions and everything. And we'll, if they fit into the conversation, I'll make sure to, to bring those up at some point. Um, but I wanted to, 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 for those who've, there's actually a joke. Um, uh, one of the people I live with, I live out on a farm, 45 minutes from Boise, which is a city out in Idaho. And, uh, you know, so there's a bunch of goats and sheep and, you know, the, the dad of the family here, um, he, uh, I, I nearly thought you said the dad of the goats. I was like, <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> no, Please. the dad of a different kind of kid. Yeah. Um, you know, he, there's a family that lives here and I've got my tiny house on their premises, um, because they're just letting me live here while I get some things figured out, uh, with my living situation, which is great. Um, uh, it's really freeing me up to be able to do things like this. Um, but he made a joke. He said, well, just, you know, I, I have a question for her as an Idahoan. Um, well, what is race? I, <laughs> I thought it's just white people, you know. He's, he's joking because Idaho's not not super diverse. Boise, a bit more so, you know, in Boise State University, a bit more so. Um, obviously, I was able to get involved with, like, the Center for Diversity and Inclusion when I was there. I was able to get involved with the Black Student Alliance. I was able to get involved with the Black History Museum and all these other kinds of groups. And that's where I did a lot of my sitting and listening and, you know, just trying to listen or whatever. Um, but, but, I mean, even though he's joking, he's getting at something. And I think that what he's getting at is that a lot of people in not just Idaho, but just states um, that are not, that don't really even <laughs> purport to have political power. There's a lot of states where people don't actually feel like they have, obviously, if you think you have political power because you live in California, you're probably delusional, right? You don't really have political power. You're in, you know, you're, you're an individual in a state of millions of people and the system is not made to, you know, have little people have a voice, right? Which I think is your definition of democracy is people being able to be engaged in the political process. Well, but uh, it depends on your class. Depends on your class. Exactly. And in Idaho, there's not a lot of people who are able to really have much sway at all. Um, it's going to be a red state and there's nothing you can do about that. So even if you thought that voting the other way would make a difference, it's not, I mean, at the end of the day, you're not going to. And so most people in my experience are apolitical in their, in their minds. They think that they are apolitical or they, you know, they try to stay, they, they try to avoid politics. And a lot of them tried to avoid controversial topics. And I think that that was something I realized coming out of college was there's speaking of privilege, there's a kind of like if you live in the university environment and you are kind of ascendant in the social order, you think, oh, we can all talk about this. We can always have talk. We can always have conversations about these controversial issues. Yeah. Not if you work a regular job. Not if you're just a regular working class mother who has to be around a lot of other kinds of people who have all kinds of different opinions. It all of a sudden becomes a liability to have a strong position on anything. Um, and so this whole idea that, oh, you have to stay informed. I think a lot of people would prefer not to because it, there's a sort of social liability if you're working class. Um, it, it'll get you ostracized by other people in the workplace. It'll maybe your manager or your boss or something like that will you know, in their head, they'll write you off and want to get rid of you, you know, and so... Yeah, but that's, uh, uh, it's it's because of the um, censorious climate that we live today. The censorious... But it's, it's, it's um, I think it's related to, I mean, a, a censorship and uh, I, the, the inability to talk about uh, issues uh, uh, has always existed, uh, at least within capitalism. I mean, when I was young, 
I, I will not mention the word racism at work, even if I suffer from uh, a racist uh, uh, manager, because I had manager, I mean, I lost jobs because of uh, manager, especially one, because of he didn't like me, the fact that I was black. He found out that I was, uh, I mean, he wasn't the one who, uh, who, who, who hired me, but he is the one who managed to uh, get rid of me. So, but you wouldn't mention that because, uh, especially also in science, you wouldn't mention that because people will see you as the complaining one, the troublemaker. Right. So there is always issue. I mean, people don't talk about race at work today, um, black and white. Uh, in the past, I could not talk about race or racism because I would be seen as a troublemaker. Or you mm. couldn't talk about women uh, rights uh, because you would see it as a troublemaker in science also. Right. Uh, but there is a censorious climate today, uh, and I think it's related to this issue of uh, politics and identity politics and um, how politics is seen today is seen very much as a personal uh, uh, personal identity, basically. Uh, so uh, if you uh, have point of view, people and it's opposite the point of view of somebody else, you they will see it as a, a personal attack to to themselves, to their to their self, to their inner self, to their uh, person. And this is how people react much more violently than they they, they do in the past. Uh, people didn't see politics as uh, such a personal part of their um, emotions and, you know, it's it, it wasn't as much of a part of their identity than than, uh, than it is today. Uh, but the race, I mean, I'm sorry, but the race in America is, is an issue that is just horrendous. Horrendous. <sighs> Every time I, 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 um, I get involved with the some people, uh, some American discussing race, it's just like, oh, I, I'm sorry, but the race issue in America is just, and I, I have to say, I said to my friends, the, the one who lives in America, because I have friends in America huh, uh, since I lived there, and I said to them, yeah, you know, I wrote a book on trust and racial division, but you don't need to, to discuss it at work because, seriously, you don't need to have trouble uh, uh, because of me, because it, it's such a horrendous, um, and it's very, uh, very wild, emotionally, very... And I think it, it's sad because it, it prevents um, people to discuss issues and understand the world. If you cannot discuss uh, ideas, you cannot, you cannot change the world. Well, this is, mean, a, this, is a, this is a good sort of segue back into what I was kind of painting this picture of... of people who don't really want to get involved, don't want to really touch these issues. Um, if a lot, if most of the people in your life are Democrats who are talking about anti-racism all of a sudden, then it wouldn't be too much of a social liability to at least talk about that. Now you might want, you might not want to talk about capitalism, but you can at least maybe talk about that. But what I've experienced is that, um, a lot of people actually just tune it all out and kind of keep their head down and focus on the task at hand, like raising their children or whatever. And so, um, for the people in my life who've kind of kept away, you know, maybe they've heard someone like you say, oh, race, the race issue in the United States is horrendous. And, and maybe they, they've, maybe they saw clips online or something, or maybe like the news brought, but they try to avoid it. How would you characterize, besides saying it's horrendous, could we, could we 
maybe for the people alive now and for the people who will be watching this, hopefully when things are better in the future, right? Um, uh. What is the current situation? Where is the, the discourse at? What is the sort of spectrum of acceptable positions or, or, or you know, what, what is it that has you saying it's so horrendous now? What, you know, and, and maybe we could, this would be a chance to talk about some of the, the books on the, the, those bestsellers on the thumbnail for this conversation, but, you know, in the last couple of years, how to be anti-racist and white fragility and nice racism and these kinds of books or why I stopped talking about race or these kinds of books that you, you talk about in your book. Could you kind of, uh, for, for those who haven't been doing those readings, um, or around people who have been, um, what's going on there? What is, what is, what is, what is that position? Or is that, could you kind of say that that's a unified position? Do they all assume the same things or, or kind of, yeah. What is, what is the current liberal left anti-racist position for, for the person who hasn't been keeping up? Yeah. <laughs> it's a I mean, huge question. A position. There is different position in, in, in America. I, I, I said it's horrendous in the sense of uh, it, it's, it's part of um, a politics that is taken as a very personal uh, point of view. And so for me, the way I, when I go a bit further from the issue, I'm seeing it is as part of a typical identity politics. I mean, it's not only race, uh, the issue of re trans a woman's right and trans rights is another hot topic. And it's there, those topics are hot uh, from different uh, background, from the from different different groups of people. You have the progressive in America uh, against uh, what they call the right. And then you have hardly any uh, what I call left in a sense of um, or Marxist. There's hardly any voices of those people. And you have you have the liberal uh, progressives and uh, so the Democrats and the Republicans and I think both of them are wrong on, on that level. First of all, because I think that they're all um, racial um, determinist and they're all into racial identity, and uh, and none of them are basically challenging the issue of racism. Um, so at the end of the day, um, yeah, so they're all wrong for me. Um, but they have different point of view. Uh, I mean, there is a lot of different theory. Uh, I, so, so I would, my, I would... My, 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 my problems is really that the, one of the main problems in America is that you know hardly anybody challenging racial thinking. So even if you, some people will say, well, I, I want to be anti-racist, uh, let's be anti-racist. They are doing the uh, anti-racist on on, based on racial thinking. So they're accepting racial thinking and they're trying to argue that racist, we need to fight racism by pushing some racial identity or racial consciousness or racial uh, whatever. And, yes. and and both left and right, uh, uh, I mean, Democrats or Republicans, because I don't really think they are left and right. Uh, from, I'm sorry to say, but Democrats and Republicans, for me, there's hardly any differences. Um, but bo both sides, basically, are all based on racial thinking. And that's what I'm trying to do in the book, is try to, try to argue that the problem is not only racism, uh, because things have changed, uh, whether uh, some people trying to claim it otherwise, um, black people 
the position of black people or Native Americans or, or the minorities is different today than in the past. And things have improved in, in some aspects, and you cannot deny that, you cannot deny reality. But racial thinking is still supported both by racists and anti-racists. And by those anti-racists claim that they are fighting against racism, all their theory is based on racial thinking. The point of view is still based on, on dividing the world into groups of people and, and trying to understand, basically identity politics is that. It's basically you're saying that the world is divided into races, whether it's cultural races or, or sorry, whether it's biological races or culture or ethnicity. So you divide the world into those groups and you are arguing that each of those groups has different point of view and then you have to fight. So we are all equal, you know, race equality has been uh, there since the second uh, uh, world war apparently. So we're all equal apparently, but we are in competition and then we have to defend um, um, of resources or, or positions against uh, uh, other groups. Right. For me, how, how can I explain? It? For me, my problems in the world today is the way that we see politics today, and this is based on identity politics. And racial identity is one example, or race issues, is one of the examples of identity politics taking over any politics that you find today. And, and my uh, a definition of identity politics is different from what you hear in, in the media at the moment because people see identity politics only as a left phenomenon. They are seeing our identity politics as uh, race, uh, sex, uh, sexual, uh, the trans issue, um, or the religious for the Muslims, for example, but they, want, they see only identity politics from the left. For me, identity politics it's when you take a social identity that you have in in in, in society, so you're a woman, or you're uh, living in Germany, uh, so you're German, or you're um, uh, uh, a professor. So you take in a social identity, and you're using this identity in politics as a way to fight the resources for your own identity group. So uh, identity group as a professor, identity group as a, as a black person, identity group as a white person, or even identity group as a working class. Everything is about uh, your identity, your social identity, and you go, you enter politics as a way of fighting for your identity group. Right. And race is one example because it's, when you look at the, um, uh, when you understand politics only for identity, and identity is part of supposedly what define us as individual. Identity is this what I did also check on on my PhD is how identity how we see each other as individual. Identity has become the things that is more important. And identity is also very individualized today. So we cannot understand. We cannot see each other. We cannot see ourselves without supposedly defining our identity. So identity is very personal. Politics is only identity politics. So politics becomes a very uh, polarized, vicious competition between different identity groups. And race is one, because we only see ourselves only through race. Black, white, Asians, Native Americans, you know, different, or, or there is another, another identity politics, it's a national identity. Right. French, German, 
American, Libyan, Syrians, and so how to protect our national identity also. You know, as a French person, I'm not supposed to have the same interest as the German person, than the, the German person. So I, I don't, I, this, this is how, this is, uh, it's a bit different from what other people are trying to argue. It's, it's what, what I'm saying is that the politics that we have today is not politics. It is not politics because it's only based on identity. It's politics, it's the identity based politics. Right. And that's, that has been developed and happening for a long time. But unfortunately, anybody that used to be called themselves left has only taken identity politics. So politics based on identity. That's why you always have single issue politics. Different, um, different, the point uh, is that you have single issue campaign. You, the single issue campaign is based on identity politics, on fighting for the interests of a particular groups of people within the political realm. And this is what the left is doing, as, as fortunately for me, is what is in 21st century, is that the left has completely given up on anything except identity politics. And even working class politics has become, has become only identity politics. Thank because God, the yeah. working class is seen as the poor, the one who has a certain interest uh, with certain way of life, certain values, certain institutions, and you're fighting for working class, working class for basically as an identity groups. So working class politics become, has become only an identity politics. And that is, has no, nothing to do with the, for me as a Marxist, as an idea of transforming the world to a classless, classless society. Because my, my, uh, at the end of the day, my aim, political aim, is freedom, the possibility of creating a world where humans will have the possibility to be free. Not that it was given freedom, but a world where the humans may be able to have freedom. And that can only happen in a classless society, as far as I'm concerned. And when you're looking at the working class politics today, it's to protect working class, to protect black, to protect women, to protect trans, to protect uh, French, to protect, you know, to protect professors, to protect, to protect students. This is what identity politics is to do today. Am I, am I, I mean, this is why what I'm trying to do with the book is it is we need to to be humanist and we need to develop universalist politics that has been abandoned. For me, that's that's why left right it, it's and I, 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 I said it in once uh, and, I'm, and and I know that some people are like oh because I said the identity politics is the politics of capitalism. Because when you look at identity politics, it started with the issue of race, for example, and it started, you know, when it started, when people started the race, it wasn't the working class who did the race. It was the, you know, scientists and the intellectual. A race was developed by scientists and intellectuals and um, um, the upper class, you know. Right. Uh, in the 18th century, it wasn't the working class. It wasn't the the white uh, peasant who developed the issue of race. It was the intellectuals, intelligentsia of the of the Europeans and the Americans, you know, professors and scientists and uh, government. So, so the, the the issue of race was one of the first identity politics. In in a, in a world where um, you have inequality, they had to find a way of developing politics 
based on identity, and one of the identity was race. I'm I'm saying too much at the same time. No, uh, I, I'm, no, there's I'm, I I I I was my big fear going into this conversation was going to be, oh, you know, what if I what what if I can't get you talking? My my. <laughs> my my fear is not that you might talk too much. I am not. No, that's fantastic. And you do bring up a lot. And yeah. I, there's a couple of threads here that I don't want to lose, which is probably why I'm sitting here going, you know, blinking. But, you know, that's why I'm taking notes. So yeah. I will want to come back to the idea of rights and universalism um, and and do the, you know, the devil's advocate thing where I say, OK, but I know what some people would say, blah, blah, blah. But before doing that, I want to acknowledge what you'd said about how class becomes a form of identity politics. Um, this has been something I think that I only really started realizing maybe in the last year or so. And it's been a, a sort of, well, it's posing a problem for me, right? Because I've thought of myself, I'm a working class intellectual, right? You know, and so this working class aspect of my identity, it is a kind of identity. And so saying class, class politics or no other kind of, pol you know, we, we have to, we have to have class, you know, be centered. Um, and then people say, oh, well, intersectionality doesn't ignore class, you know, intersectionality class is one of these vectors of oppression, which at first was satisfactory for me. I think that was probably satisfactory for me for a couple of years until I realized none of the people who say that seem to get what I have a problem with concerning class in the first place. Right. Um, and, and that none of the kinds of solutions developed by anybody who purports to do a kind of intersectionality that adds class into the sort of matrix of identities, um, none of the solutions that they are advocating for seem to have any sort of future or any kind of what you're, you'd say freedom you know, involved. There's not a... It wouldn't bring any tangible change for me if I saw more working class people on television. It would not, it, for me, it does not make, it does not bring me hope to see a bartender now be a politician. I don't, I don't care. I don't care. You know, when a journalist says, I think I've heard you say this. When a journalist says, well, I am working class. I don't fucking care if you're working class or not. Like, what are you talking, what are you talking about? First of all, first of all, if you are now what, you know, the, we, we've talked a little bit behind the scenes about this idea of the PMC and maybe it's not the best term for this concept but if what you are uh, or or if the if the social position that you hold is you know that you know you're part of the the media part of the media establishment or part of the education establishment or part of the political establishment um saying that you're working class what you mean is that your parents were were working class right um so this idea that Oh well, we can put. We we just need the right people in positions of power. We just need more working class people in positions of power. You know, it, this is the idea of representation. And for me, it's not satisfactory if it's a Bolshevik version of of worker representation, or if it's a, an American Democratic version of representation. Either way, this is representation, which is not the real thing, right? The, the real thing would be regular working people having a say over their lives, not somebody in a position somewhere saying, I represent your interests. I come from that. 
right? Ex- exactly. I mean, actually, when 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 somebody said there is some uh, uh, on Twitter, uh, I used to follow um, a working class academics, and I'm like, working class academic, because for me, I also have a, a, a working class background. But I don't think I, I mean I, I don't although I don't have a, a proper job you know uh, I, I don't think I could call myself working class as such um, uh, not because of my education because you can still be uh, I mean I could have been a PhD and work in uh, you know work uh, but because of the the jobs I'm doing at the moment I'm I'm reading and writing so and so when you hear the the working class academic, you're thinking, mm, academic, mm, uh, okay, it's a job, yeah. So you, in one way, you are part of the working class, but right. the way that is presented, or working class journalists, or working class politicians, the way the way it becomes is like uh, you have your identity as a working class, and then by having this proper identity, uh, then you can talk to other people who are working class just because you have this proper identity. I mean, it's just so obvious. I have to say that working class as an identity is also been uh, there for quite a long time, but it was more also on the define of when working class was defined in a sociological way. You know, like uh, the income level and that kind of things. It was also a, a little bit of an identity uh, because you don't, you know, I I follow the definitions of working class uh, in a more of a, what what some people will say more of a Marxist. Uh, I don't like um, Marxist calling myself putting label, but more I see working class as a social relation. So uh, whether or not uh, you own the means of productions uh, um, as a worker uh, makes you don't. Sorry, right. As does, a worker, does, you don't own the means of production. So it's a, a working class. It's a social relations. It's a objective understanding of the diff, uh, that is used to be able to understand the world. Uh, so when people call themselves working class, either you can use it as an objective understanding of where you are socially, or you can use it as an identity. And today, it's only understood as an identity. So the level of income, as what you do, how you live. So if you are middle class, it's because you live in certain way. But if you're working class, for example, if you're rough, you become a working class. So it becomes an identity. And when you, my problem is with the left, it's not only that it's an identity, but it's how it's also presented, how you fight identity. Like you said, the political aim of human emancipation or, or, or abolitions of class has been forgotten. Uh, most of the people need, uh, and class is important only. I guess the working class is important only if you are, uh, your aim is to uh, fight for a classless society, for the abolition of class. Otherwise, you've just been part of identity politics. Right. You see what I mean? Is that the, re- the reason why the working class was important is because of their social position in capitalism. So their interest was in, in basically a, a linked with the interest of the social transformation of society. But if you're fighting for the working class just for to protect them or to make them having a better life, you're just part of the identity politics of anybody else. You just, basically you become a liberal, uh, uh, you know, one of those people who call themselves left, but they are nothing to do with the uh, freedom or um, social transformation. They're just, uh, basically they are fighting for uh, the working class within capitalism that's what they're doing so it's a very it's a conservative status quo uh, politics i think you know you you protect somebody within the society so you don't even question uh, capitalism anymore you don't need to to protect the working class you don't need to question capitalism anymore because you're just protecting them right 
right? And I, I think it's probably worth digging a little bit more into what of Marx you take to be important um, to your project because you said you don't like the label. I think you and I both share a sort of respect for the thinker who was Marx. And uh, for me, it comes down to some of his fundamental concerns, questions, you know, the problems he's focused on and the critique of political economy more than, you know, oh, you know, some political strategy pamphlet he wrote or something. And so for mm-hmm. what the, it's important to bring up this idea though. You're not, you say you, you like that idea of like, it's a relation. It's a social relation. You kind of brought up the means of production in relation to the means of production. You're saying it's not, it's definitely for you, not income level because income level is the sort of sociological definition of class. And, uh, I, I think that the idea gets a lot more complicated today, uh, in this version of capitalism we are now in, um, where the class divides are less painfully obvious for most people. Uh, you know, they call it finance capitalism, they call it consumer capitalism, they call it neoliberal capitalism, whatever the phase you want to call it. The One of the issues is that, I mean, we, we think of capitalists as CEOs, but those aren't even the capitalists. The, the, these are, you know, these are people who have been voted to represent the shareholders. You know, these are, these are just overpaid, you know, glorified representatives of, of, of capitalist interests. The capitalists would be the shareholders. And then you, you have people who go, well, you know, I, I own some stocks and, and, you know, I, I have, you know, I, I invest in my, in, in my retirement and in a college fund for my children that, so what, I'm a shareholder too. It's so I, so for me, I think right now, the way that I, that I, that I, work with the, the distinction I use now, instead of saying it's a relation to the means of production, because a lot of people who might have some stocks, they don't own those means of production, obviously. And if they tried to do anything with those means of production, they'd probably just, you know, get kicked off the board or whatever. Um, the, the question is, is does money work for you when you're not working <laughs> or do you work for money? <laughs> right? Like it's a, the, this classic M the, the circuit of capital, M, C, M prime that Marx mm-hmm. uses in capital. It's, you know, you, do you, is, does money exist for you as something that you just put into things that then it works for you? Um, or is the only thing you have your own labor power and then you trade that for money that you then have to pay for rent and for food and okay. If the latter that I would say, yeah, that's that's how I would define working class, right? You you trade your labor power for, and you basically are uh, it's paying rent and paying for food, and maybe once a year, or every couple of years, you get to take the kids to Disneyland. It doesn't really, it doesn't, you know, you you might have a retirement account, but that's not the same thing as your money. The money works for you, right? In the form of paying the wages for people. Yeah, but I mean. Um... Is it that important? Because I mean, uh, in in a way, uh, it's a bit like uh, each individual should we, should I call myself a working class or how much uh, do I earn or how much share? Uh, you know, this is not the point of class uh, uh, or at least for me, this is not the point of politics. 
Well, no, no, each individual should define themselves as working class or middle class or because at the end of the day, middle class is in, in a way uh, uh, a working class, but they often they are uh, uh, basically fight in a way that I understand middle class as they often, their positions make them um, either supporting the interests of the working class or supporting the interests of the upper class, the capitalists. So when you're in the middle, that's what kind of middle, you know, you, your manager of a, of a, of a, of a company, whether you're going to support the other workers or you're going to uh, fight against them and, and support the capitalist interest or the, your employer's interest. That's, that's kind of a middle class um, uh, position that you have. But uh, this is the thing is that why is it so important to define each individual as ordered working class, capitalist or middle class? For me, class, uh, the understanding of uh, capitalism itself is more important than how do we define individual because it's how do we understand the society and how do we want to uh, what are the possibility for us to change it and who can do that how do we do it politically and uh, so the class will be important in when it comes to political and the result result is important but whether or not an individual is working class or not is not the only reason why i talk about individuals working class or not is because for me, it shows how class is part of identity politics today. Right. Because the politics have, the, the, first of all, the M has, has disappeared. And the only thing that is happening today is uh, uh, identity politics, single issues or protecting an identity group. It's not whether or not an individual sees himself as a working class or not. Because even if he was a working class, it doesn't. Uh, an individual is in a working class. It doesn't mean that he's going to fight for the interests of the working class anyway. Right. You know, it's not because you're working class that you fight for the interests of the working class. Which it's not I... because you're black that you're fighting for the interests of black. So it's it's not your you having an identity doesn't make means that you have the 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 politics that is fighting for the interests of your identity group. For me, it's important. The, the class is important. It's a class is important as a way of understanding how our social system, our social order is organized today, and what are the possibility to change that? Because today, I think, I believe that humanity has the capacity to control their destiny, destiny more than they used to be in the past. We have more control over nature. We have more control over ourselves, and we have more control over our, our social world. That's what I think we are. We are in the, in the time where we can create something different because of the way the society is organized. Hmm. Uh, in the past, we were more determined by our natural world. Today, we are less determined by our natural world. In the past, we are more determined by our social world. Today, we are less determined by our social world. The, within the society that we have, capitalism society. We have a, a possibility that uh, uh, we can go over our, um, the determination that is a barrier to, to our change. We can control our destinies more. We can understand it and we can challenge it more than we used to be in the past. I mean, you wouldn't have the same uh, same change that, you know, in a Greek society, you wouldn't have the same discussion. It's not It's not possible to have had the same discussion. But today, for me, is that we arrive in in in, in this historical uh, uh, time where we have the possibility of creating something different. 
we have the possibility and the capacity to create something different. One of them is actually uh, because of capitalism itself, because of the issue of identity, for example, the issues of individualism, the issue of freedom that makes, that give us the, the tools to create our own destiny. So, yeah, I, I, and I, I think that you may have just caught me sinking back into my old habits of working class identity politics. You know, this, this, it becomes a sort of like gatekeeping of the concept, even though it doesn't, even though it really shouldn't matter, but it could matter. And I know Marxists in my life who would say it matters because, because they would think, well, we need to have working class people representing the working class interests. But this presupposes that there's like a unified working class interest when, and I've heard you say something that would, that definitely contradicts that idea. There's not a unified working class interest. If a lot of people's working class identity and interests are in existing as working class people and securing power for themselves as working class people, whether it's be through a union or through the government or a nonprofit, because the, the position, and I think we both get this from, from Marx, is should be that the point is not the the empowerment and enshrinement of these working class identities and institutions but or or this idea of dual power that is you know these working class dual power you know setups no the the point is the abolition of class and that's the end. how are you going to get that if the only people that you think should be centered and should be leading and should be representing a movement are people who are deeply invested in this idea that they are working class and that they just that that's that's what they are and that's what they want is to be working class and to maintain that. So was there a question? Yeah, I mean, if you if you identity politics with working class, sorry, <laughs> I wasn't. Uh, if your identity if your identity is working class and you you know you know that I, when I was doing my research on the on the PhD. Uh, I, I um, oh, actually on the book first. Um, I didn't read uh, one of one of a fascinating uh, essay for me is is uh, I want to mention it. It's the essay by G. M. Thomas because I was going in a directions because when I was writing the book I was trying to see what what's wrong with identity politics and in the book if I remember I said that um, it's basically um, denied um, the objective. Uh, uh, differences between the working class and the capitalists. So, so the the fact that your workers uh, becomes an identity uh, more than the uh, 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 social position. And, and so, if you use identity politics for working class or for anything else, you're basically forgetting about being anti anti capitalist in the sense of challenging the the society. And um, but after I wrote the book, I read this. Um, Essay by G.M. Tamas. Uh, I think he's. Uh, I think he's. I think he's Hungarian uh, guy. Um, uh, I don't remember those kind of uh, de um, uh, uh, um, details. But anyway, and uh, he's going a little bit too far. Um, but he, he for me, he really kind of crystallized the, the direction I was going because he's basically arguing that there was two different type of left. There was the Rousseau, Rousseau East left, and there was the Marxist left. 
Rousseau's lift is basically what, what we've been doing for a long time when you look at it. And the Marxist left is what is uh, has been uh, basically the radical, basically, uh, have been disappearing. And that is time now to, uh, now that we have uh, rights, uh, uh, equal rights, I don't support, I don't think human rights is uh, such a good thing. But when you have rights, uh, civil liberties, then the, uh, and also certain positions in as a workers, then we need to go back to the basically to the Marxist left in the sense of understanding what the aim of uh, the the Marx the Marxist left used to have the radical transformation the the, the creating society that is so it's 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 not it's not changing people it's creating a society that is different without the class so if you fight for working class and for the interests of the work class forgetting the political aim of creating society, you're basically keeping capitalism and you're improving the position, more or less, of the working class. But you never change it. And the resource is that, is the left that is helping the working class to have better working conditions, helping the working class to have uh, their own institutions and a way of life. But the Marxist left will be the one who are going to use, understand the interests of the working class in abolishing itself. Because unless, unless they do that, they will still be working class. And we see that anyway, because today uh, a lot of the workers re are realizing nowadays that they have to uh, use uh, trade unions to be able to fight for uh, better wages. So mm. the con working conditions hasn't been proved, so are going down, and they have to fight again. So you may, you may as workers, fight for better working conditions, but it's not, you always have to fight it. The, the conflict is always there. Uh, so until you change that, the society itself, you will always have this social conflict between the workers and the capitalists and, and other uh, social uh, conflict. I mean, the class conflict, basically, you will have the class conflict. Yeah, this distinction. I'm glad that I'm glad this is you brought up, I think, naturally in the last uh, half hour of this conversation, you've you've sort of naturally brought up things that I was hoping to get the opportunity to ask you about. And so that's perfect. Um, I had, uh, we had discussed before uh, the interview, having an intermission uh, at about oh, okay. at the halfway point. And I think, uh, you know, so in case you need to refresh yourself or, you know, get, get, get a drink of water or something like that, you know, you, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, in, in here, it's actually getting surprisingly hot. What? It's hot, but it's cold outside, so I don't, I don't have a heater on. I don't understand how it's so hot now, but um, well, but you're human beings and you're alive, so you're creating heat. I was gonna say it's probably all your hot takes you're dropping on the stream, but uh, no, it's you. I'm sorry to say, <laughs> you're the one who's heating the. Place. I, I think so. I think you're right. I'm a, I'm a human heater, um, but I, I'd also told the chat because uh, there's been a few really good questions, um, and a couple people repeated their questions. I said we would be talking about some of these questions um, in the second half after the intermission because during the intermission we'll have I'll have an opportunity to go back over the chat and if you would like um, I will also share with you here in the uh, in the chat of this of this call I will share with you a link to the live stream chat so you can go over the the stream chat 
so far if you would like to. Um, otherwise, how, how do you do that? Because I mean, at the moment, I'm only on on. I mean, I don't see the chat. Here, let me share it with you here. I mean, um, I just shared the. Oh. Uh, so I think okay. that that link, that link will bring up just the chat. Uh, so I have to go. Okay, so I have to uh, shorten the. Okay. But don't. But ha But one sec. Is there? Yeah. Is there anything you'd like to say before intermission? Oh, what is it? What? Uh, say, uh, you mean like, why would I want to say something? I don't know. Oh, just if you had any points for the order. Okay. So what I will do then is suggest that we both mute ourselves and I'll play some music and we'll be back in five minutes, everybody. Um, so if you, if you haven't got your questions submitted, go ahead and, and, and add those. It'll be between five and 10 minutes of intermission time. So oh, yeah. Oh, I'm going to mute myself. Mm, let's see. So I think it's... Oh, yeah, a mute. There, there you go. Okay. How, how long do you say? Five, ten minutes? How about, how about seven? Be back in oh, yeah, seven minutes. Okay. Uh, I'm, I'm leaving Germany, so I have to check seven minutes. Right. I, I heard the German minute is a lot longer. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> See you later. All right.
Okay, bringing it back around here. Let's see. All right. Um, how do I bring this back to full screen without the chat in there? Oh, there we go. Can you hear me? Mm-hmm. Okay, wonderful. Welcome back. Uh, yeah, welcome back to... Um, just, uh, I was going to say something, uh, to the general chat. Uh, if anybody in the, in the chat, um, has a question for Dr. Louis de Sully. See, I said it right this time. Um, <laughs> uh, and if you are, uh, on my WhatsApp, I can play your voice message over stream. That's one of the miracles of technology. And so my friend love, that is love's name. Um, has asked a question that I'm going to play over the over WhatsApp just through the browser. If that's possible. Yep. But, but I also can I because I I, I read um, some of the comments and I think there is a misunderstanding of uh, two things. Perfect. First, I do I do not deny it. I do not deny that there is discriminations against different groups. Uh, and I, I think we need to challenge that. And I also do not say we should not fight for the working class within capitalism. I'm talking about the political aim of the left or, or, or the ultimate. Uh, I, I am, the best way I've explained so far is short term and long term. So I will support, you know, uh, I, I will support groups of workers fighting for the better wages and better conditions of, of, of uh, working conditions. Or uh, we support uh, minorities fighting for rights. Uh, for example, in, um, in Europe, um, travelers uh, are treated badly. So I will support them uh, against discrimination. But then my political aim, so the ultimate, the long-term politi uh, political aim, is not only to support workers with better conditions or to support uh, an, an adopted group. The long term is a classless or, or a radical social transformation. It's two different things. And if you forget this political aim, aim for, for example, if you, if you forget this ultimate political aim, you're concentrating on only fighting and protecting and defending identity groups within capitalism. And that's what I, I disagree with uh, what is called the left today, it's because they are forgetting the political aim that the, the radical political aim and concentrating concentrating on the status quo on challenging and fighting for better conditions within capitalism that's hopefully a good enough clarification for i think there were a few people who were kind of who were wondering about that if, and for me, it do, you know, it seems like it's very hard to organize people who who really are only focused on the short term, um, especially when the short term and almost every way that has been laid out for us to be able to fight in the short term is so uh, carefully developed to incorporate movement energy back into the current uh, framework of power, right? Almost anything we see 
gets swept right back up into the Democratic Party, which uh, I did an interview with Gerald Smith um, on my channel, and, and he said that's where, he said, yeah, the Democratic Party, where movements go to die, right? And uh, so how to get out of that trap, I guess, is, is, is one of the bigger questions and problems for us all. Of the trap of what? Of uh, any kind of movement energy being reincorporated back into the Democratic Party. The I, I'm sorry to say, but anybody who's still into Democratic... I'm going to be rude there. Anybody who thinks themselves left and they are supporting Democratic Party or the Labour Party or any of those... Uh, I mean, in, in France, it would be like Michelin. If they think themselves as left... And they still think that they have to be the Democratic Party or the party in the UK. Uh, I'm sorry, but no, no, it's seriously no. So then, there is how would you? So then, so you say we can fight against, say, discrimination in the short term, but we have this long-term plan and vision, and we put most of our energy towards, you know, the abolition of, of say, class or or something like this. Then, what is the well, then, short-term, what I was saying is that short-term almost always just means if not working within the Democratic Party or whatever, you know, the Labour Party, whatever the existing parliamentary system is, it, it, maybe it means, like, what, working for a non-profit? What, what, what does it mean to you to, to, to do both if it's, if it's not, you know, this politics-as-usual Democratic Party stuff? What would it mean, this short-term, what would that mean to you? Don't you think it's 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 a? Uh, <laughs> I have to say that uh, I was reading some of those comments. Now now you're disturbing me with your comment. There. Don't you think it's a bit strange that uh, somebody's talking about dog pushing universal vision? Oh yeah, I I love dog pushing. <laughs> anyway, don't you think it's a bit strange that um, uh, it's not just it's, it's, this question comes up also in uh, when I discuss politics with uh, some of the left in. Uh, in the UK, they are they are basically saying, well, if if you don't do it within the Democratic uh, Party, or if you don't do it within the Labour Party, what else can you do? It's as if like we have to be part of this uh, old political party uh, and uh, to be able to do some to change the world. It's like you only see politics through parties, uh, and and not only parties, but through the established parties. And for me, politics is, is not that. It's the same as democracy. Democracy is not about voting every few years and put a paper, you know, a cross on the paper, whatever people do uh, in voting. This is not democracy. It is uh, um, uh, an aspirations or uh, 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 politics. Or, or, um, uh, I wouldn't call it sentiment because it becomes too uh, too emotional. But you know, it, it's 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 an attitude. Uh, politics. Uh, and it's the same for, for me. Politics is it's uh, it's not uh, being part of a party party, and then you're going to hope that you're going to change the party. It's um, it's having political aim and fighting for it. So for me, uh, I mean, I'm not against um, uh, involving. The reason why uh, I'm going to answer the same question as that a class society. The reason why we're talking about a class society is is based on the understanding of how society is organized. So capitalism is a different cla different classes, yes. 
but societies in the past were also with different classes. So we have a, a social conflicts throughout uh, human history, and social conflicts and class conflicts uh, di between different groups of peoples. Uh, uh, and, and today in, in a capitalist society, you have the, the people who own the means of production, because uh, I also understand society in a way that uh, Marx will understand it, uh, through the, uh, um, the productions and reproduction of society, and to, to produce and reproduce ourselves is through the productions of society, uh, it's a bit ridiculous to say that, uh, through the our productive activity. You know, we, we humanity cannot sit on their ass and live. We have to produce an interaction with nature and interaction with within our social world, yes? So we produce and reproduce society. As if you understand society that way, then you understand how this um, productive activity is organized. In a, in a capitalist society, our productive work, means of productions, is owned by um, a, a class. And workers working, the one who producing, the producers, do not own the means of productions of the society that they are producing. So the workers producing society, but they do not own the means of productions of this society. The class of society, it means that the reason I also agree with Marx on that level is that I think that we are in a stage where it is possible to go away from a class society. Historically, we had class. Uh, we had, uh, uh, in, in, you know, you had the, the, the aristocrats, you had the, uh, the servants, the peasants. So you had class producing and the class were taking over what is produced. Uh, uh, but I think we are arriving in a stage in society with the capitalist society where it is possible to produce a class less society, i.e. to have no workers, i.e. that the means of production is not owned by a specific groups of people, by an minority of people. Actually, I've forgotten what you were asking me to do. But uh, yes, for the short term is to, uh, to build, so for me, uh, uh, the reason why I, I'm not against, uh, for example, challenging anti-racism, not because I think racism is the only uh, issue, is that there is some issue uh, that are useful in building uh, 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 politics that help us to uh, uh, to challenge society. Race is a, an, an, an issue. Working uh, uh, class, um, sorry, working class conditions and working class interests is not other issues that you, you can use those issues as a way of um, building a movement that makes people want to change society because I, I'm not a dictator and I'm, I'm not I'm not into imposing um, uh, my I'm not into uh, less vote and then we impose society I'm saying that people have the possibility of understanding what is wrong in society and how to change it through uh, uh, political actions. Mm. If you're, you just, for me, race was a good example because for me, race is just show what is the real divisions between people and what are, uh, why they are there, and also how can we go over them? How can we build a movement that is universalist? And race is one of the issues that you have to challenge to be able to build a universalist movement. Workers' workers' conditions is another 
uh, issue that is very useful because you show that the interest of uh, some workers, some people will say the interest of, for example, um, uh, a chambermaid can go against the interest of a waitress. So you have to show that it's not. So worker solidarities or the interest of a native workers should uh, against the interest of immigrants workers. Immigration, for example, for me, is also a very important issue to, to use and to challenge because you're basically showing, you want to show that the, int the problems is not immigrants versus native, it's the way it is, is organized, the way that the society is organized that creates divisions or that divisions are reinforced. Yes, or the, so, as, as Zizek says in his book on refugees, that it's the, you know, it's not, it's not, oh, should we let more immigrants in or should we let fewer immigrants in? The real question is, uh, how do we change the system that is making it so that people, or I, I, say, I said immigrants, but I mean immigrants or refugees. Um, he says, how do we change the conditions that make it so that people are fleeing their countries? How do we make it so that we change the conditions so that there aren't opportunities in other countries, right? And usually this, you know, these, these kinds of movements are a direct result of, uh, in, 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 in our case, U.S. foreign policy, um, you know, the, the current mig uh, the immigration crisis in the United States where so many people flee here, not just because governments have been destabilized um, by neoliberalism, but also uh, you have people, migrant workers coming uh, who their families used to own farms. And because of NAFTA, their families, uh, their farms were bankrupted, right? There was specific policies that made it so that it was that way. And then people want to turn this into a, oh, well, borders are no borders. Immigrants are no immigrants. Well, that's kind of a side issue. The, the, the point was is that we, we made it so that there's not opportunities there, and now people have to come here to be exploited by you know, these, these farmers in the United States. Um, but what I wanted to do really quick is to play Love's question. Yeah. Um, Love uh, is in the chat. I think it's Love I Am or something like that. But I've got his face up on the, the, the screen here. Um, I don't think you'll be able to see this, okay. uh, Christine. You'll just hear. You'll hear his question. I'll just play it. Um, and let me know if you are able to hear this okay. Here we go. Dr. Christine, I really enjoy your, um, your willingness to embrace change in every present moment. Would you agree that every government that would limit its people with rules and force is in direct opposition to any view that you might have for universal or real freedom that is supported in society and thus to achieve real or universal freedom, we need communities that are more focused on prescription and values and reinforcing those as opposed to restriction and limitations or uh, fear-based limitations. Uh, 
Am he, I talking? Yeah, he also sent a follow-up question. I don't know if it's a direct follow-up to that first question that clarifies the first question or if it's an additional question. I asked, and I'm still waiting for a response on that. Um, but how about we just play it? Because I think he's probably going to recapitulate the question. Here we go. Dr. Christine, you call yourself a black woman. And you've pointed out how identity politics um, are limiting. And you've also pointed out how race is limiting. Would you say that the pros outweigh the cons for identifying as black, considering that black in language has constantly carried metaphors such as evil, scary, hidden, beautiful, ugly, and many other things that may be carried when you speak about yourself in groups. Do you find that that is more limiting than beneficial to say that you are this thing that has historically demonized our people? Ooh. <laughs> right. Um, I can't, what was the first question again? Uh, on the level of black woman, in one way, you're, you're right in the sense of uh, both um, our, this, these things about identity is, is problematic because in, in the current society that I am today, I am known as a black woman. Uh, a woman, a, 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 biological se a biological sex, gender, woman, and a black as part of a, a certain uh, racial group. Um, I, I, I'm against this idea that somehow, because I know that some, I can't remember the name of this, um, some of those um, intellectuals who are arguing that they, they refuse to be called black um, and as a way of challenging racism. I, I, I'm not into this um, kind of politics because I think it's too much um, on the level of change within your own mind. For me, it's not the problem. The problem is not identity. The problem is identity politics. So in the sense of doing politics as a black woman would be for me a problem. So I, I'm a black woman. People call me a black woman. It's not an, it's not an issue for me. To, it's If I was doing politics as a black woman, so as a black woman, I think racism, or as a black woman, I'm fighting for black people. That is my um, problem today. And um, uh, because actually that is uh, limiting because um, actually even, even talk in the book, uh, I always been um, anti-identity politics. And I was I realized that a lot of people who are arguing against identity politics are also doing identity politics. And in the book, I use the argument, the example of um, Serena Williams when uh, she got angry and uh, there was um, a cartoon which i found quite racist because it's using the the um, uh, stereotype of the bl angry black woman this is an old stereotype of uh, of the racist race very racist time and so when i argue against this uh, uh, um, um, cartoon suddenly i became a black woman with people that I used 
to do politics with, and other or, or friends who know my politics for a long time. And uh, I just realized that uh, suddenly I became part of a group, and uh, somehow my uh, identity in part of these groups was supposedly to determining my political point of view. So I was against uh, uh, the 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 cartoon, and I, I, promote, I saw it as racist because I was a black woman, and I was upset being seen as a black uh, 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 an angry black woman, which I think is identity politics. So uh, I, I, I don't have any problems calling myself a black woman in the sense of how people see me. It's a, an identity that is this in society today. But I have a problem with my social identity is used in politics in the sense of uh, arguing for determining my point of view, my positions, my political positions, and how I should behave in society. That is the problem. And, and also me using it as as a black woman, uh, I know more about racism. That kind of things, I also against that. I don't know if I, understand, I don't know if I answer the, the problem. It's not identity itself because identity, I, I cannot be against identity because this is how we see each other today. Identity has become because we live in a capitalist society which is very individualized. Identity has become the way that people understand themselves as individual. But I am against the issue of social identity or identity used in politics to fight against uh, politics because it is conservative politics. So you can use it to fight for working class or for black, but this is not a politics that will change the world, basically. It's not a politics that will uh, uh, improve it. Do you understand what I'm, I mean? Can you can talk or...? Oh, he, uh, he, so he could send a, a follow-up voice message on, on WhatsApp if you, if that's what you're asking him to do. He's not live on the call. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. I, I, I like WhatsApp for its, its voice messaging option. Um, as you know, <laughs> I like voice messaging, but, um, you know, treating it like a walkie talkie. And what was the first question? That's, oh, that, there is a... I feel like the first question, he was very deliberate in how he proposed the question, but I've, my experience with love is that a lot of times because he talks in such a precise and deliberate way, it, it, it's usually confusing. And then I need to listen to it again because when I first met him, um, I was like, I've never met a person who talks like this before, but it's because he refuses he kind of refuses uh, a lot of the categories and and even jargon of average everyday language. He's very very careful about how he communicates and and and, and just just to, to piggyback off of off of this first the, the second question that you just responded to though, um, he does not identify as black. Um, you know he would he would probably agree with you that people will identify him as black, um, but the first time that came up in a conversation was after I had said something along the lines of like, well, I mean, you're black <laughs> because, <laughs> because he, you know, he was being harassed by some police and he was saying he did not understand why they were coming at him in this threatened, scared way. And I was like, I was like, well, you know, you're, you're a tall black man who's wearing camouflage pants and tactical gear. And then he said, he said, I'm what? And I was just like, black. And he's like, and he goes, 
He, he basically says that he does not identify as black. And I was like, all right, well, fair enough. Um, so, you know, if he wants to do a follow-up to that that second question, um, then, you know, he could he could do that. But I guess I'll, I will play the first question again, and I will put it on one... I, 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 do, I remember he wanted to talk about restrictions, and uh, I, wanted to, uh, I wanted to see if it's... Um, he was like, I think he was arguing that um, if governments make restrictions on people, I imagine, so I imagine he was talking about his laws and policies that uh, uh, it's a bit like a, a kind of a, a, I'm not going to label, like, okay, I'm not going to label, but re, uh, governments making laws and, and policies that restrict people's uh, way of life or decisions. Uh, whether or not, I think what he was asking is whether or not, uh, um, naturally, I can't remember. But he are was talking about restriction. If, if are you, are you, I think, I think, I think he's basically saying, are you for force, government force against people? That's what is, that's, correct, correct us if we're wrong here, love, but that's what my basic takeaway was, is are you for force against people, you know, government force? Wow. You you will say no, but then again, I think it's not specific enough because I, I'm not a pacifist, so using force is not a problem for me, and I'm not, um, you know, actually I cannot be a pacifist because uh, if I want to change the world, there will be some blood for growing at some point because there is no way that the people who have the power and who have, um, um, yeah, who have the power basically will allow uh, people with no power to take over. So uh, there will always be some, uh, and, you know, it's not going to be happening um, uh, pacifically and uh, quietly or whatever. But uh, the government, for me, the government and the state, it's working, we are in a, in a society where uh, some people have the power, the political power and the economic power over others. So the state and the government work for capital and work uh, for the interests of the capitalists. So, um, when you look at the laws and, uh, uh, and, and, and policies, they are um, very often uh, organized in a way that to keep the way the the world is organized. I mean, the, the way the way the society is organized. Uh, an example, I think, one of the books was I found interesting. Uh, although I disagree, it's I can't remember. Um, What's the name of a book? Oh, I, I always had it in my mind, and today I don't have it. But she basically she was uh, um, uh, T, 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 something like. Oh, I'm going to share. Uh, no, anyway, but she, but she basically she was showing how uh, a laws has uh, um, a specifically made against. Um, uh, the working class. Uh, she's concentrating on the black, black, and I think she's making mistakes of not realizing that a lot of the laws, especially in America, a lot of the laws, actually uh, not only especially in America, but in America there is a lot of the laws uh, against a working class. Uh, and but she's always looking at the black uh, working class as that's the mistakes. When when in fact the laws are against the working class. For example, the laws for. Uh, staying in your car, if you're homeless and you stay in your car in some towns, you're being fine. Uh, um, uh, the justice system is 
if you're a criminal, you know, you steal a, a, an apple, you may be, you know, you're kind of seen as a not an apple, but you know, you steal, a, I don't know, a, a TV, you're a criminal. But if you are a fraud and you are um, spending a lot of money, millions of money, uh, sorry, you're stealing a lot of millions, you're not seen the same way as if you are stealing a TV. So a lot of the laws and policies are for basically challenging the interests of ordinary people. Uh, they are keeping the way that the status quo, basically. Uh, and so in one way, for me, the state and the government, because we are in a capitalist society, they are not, they are not your friends. They are uh, as, as, as workers, as ordinary people, they're not there for your things. And anything they do will be to force you to do something. I mean, uh, there is a lot of policies basically telling uh, not us how to live, not only uh, with work, but also how to live within our own family. And within our community, there is more and more of those authoritarian laws that pe tell people what to think and how to behave, not only with employers, but also with their kids, their spouse, uh, you know, their friends. So th those, it's already happening. I mean. Uh, the, 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 que the question um, that he was asking, um, about force, um, I, I think that you. I think you basically answered it by saying that you're not against force. Um, obviously, the systems that maintain capital today are they use force and domination to maintain that status quo. Um, the question of how to get out of that without perpetuating um, domination. Uh, you know, it's an important and it's a difficult question. The Swoletariat just joined the chat. What's up, Swole? Good to see you. He said, you can't love your way to a better society. He's a Trotskyist, so that's a very Trotskyist position, I think. Um, I agree. You cannot love your way out. Um, I, I don't, I don't, I'm not into love and hippie stuff. Yeah, yeah. I like, Right, like, like this, there, I think there's a kind of politics or you'd call it probably anti-politics today that is not just pacifist, but is also sort of, it comes from like that course of miracle in miracles book where the idea is, you know, choose, choose love, not fear. That's basically this, you know, it's, a, it's all about your mindset. We can manifest the world we want. Yeah. But I think, I'm, I'm sorry, Ben, that's not me. And I don't know how much that would be love's position or if that's fair, you can always, uh, ask or expand on that in the question in the chat uh but do you think that love is about uh, the love guy um uh, love i am i think yes he's asking whether or not we can love each other or something well i'll i'll let oh. him i will let him expand on the question i, I do th obviously we're not against love the the thing that he had actually said before the break though before he sent me voice messages was um that because somebody else in the chat was saying oh i think that Christine's position is basically revolution or bust that we absolutely have to be pushing for revolution. And then, so love, I am responded by saying that in every conversation where the topic of revolution comes up, we have to clarify what it is that we are talking about because that word is so well, without butch, I, I think what he's saying is like people use that word in a lot of different ways. So what do we mean 
by revolution, I think, is a good expansion on, on the question. And you asking me? Yes. Yeah, well, because you had used the word, I do. I think you'd use the word. Uh, no, I, I did not. I did not. I you think it's too early. I mean, uh, and first of all, I, I haven't thought about it um, recently. I'm saying I'm talking about radical social transformation. I'm not sure uh, whether or not uh, uh, a revolution would be the um, the step for it or not. I'm, I just know that it's not going to happen like and we all live, love each other and then things will change. Because for me, the radical social transformation, the important word is the social. So, uh, um, but to be able to have a social transformation, it means that, uh, uh, at least today, it means that you will have social conflicts with people taking sides and then fighting to have a social transformation and people fighting to keep the status quo. Uh, so it cannot be done with love uh, because uh, some people will think politically that their interest is to keep the status quo and some people will uh, think that their social interest and political interest is to have a social transformation. And at the moment, uh, in, you know, I'm in the process of, for the last few years, I'm in the process of reconsidering quite a lot of my point of view. Um, I mean, I told you outside the uh, things that I used to be with other people and, and I changed. Uh, they went in that direction, in one direction, and I went to another direction. So at the moment, there is nothing for me that is completely uh, set in stone. But for me, what I think is important that is being not done at the moment is, and that's what I'm, I'm trying to do at the moment. I'm trying, I'm trying to reread Capital, by the way. Hey, I, I think, me too. Yeah, yeah, but because the reason is because I think. One of the things missing today, it's a lot of people call themselves anti-capitalists, but one of the things missing today is the real criticism of the society. So we have criticism of social conflicts, we have criticism of political or identity politics, for example, like I do, I'm, I'm criticizing identity politics, but the criticism of the society itself, the, the criticism and the standing of our material conditions, is not being done today. And until we do, all we're going to have is kind of sentimental left-wing things that you have today. So, uh, you know, I want to have trans people to be better and I want to have black people to be better. And I call it uh, sentimental or liberal uh, um, left politics. Right. I'm not against sentiments and I'm not against love, but it, it's not it's not radical. It's not going to... It's, it's targeting the wrong things because in one way is basically you're putting the, the the problems onto individuals and groups of individuals instead instead of kind of trying to understand the root of the problem which is for me is a social material and social economic basically right uh, I know that some people will call them uh, said that you know if you talk, talk about economy then you become uh, what they call it uh, class reductionist. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, that's what they are trying to argue against Adolf Fried, uh, class reductionist. Uh, I, I think I think that you you're not class. You only uh, class reductionist if you only talk about politics in the sense of working class. Um, but if you have an understanding of society in a material understanding of society, uh, you will have because economy economy is it's not economy in the sense of the social, the 
de, sorry, de, de bourgeois understanding of economy. Economy is social. Um, economy is um, it's the way that the, the structure of society is organized in a way that uh, makes us live today and produce and reproduce society today. So economy is social. Right. That's why some, sometimes for me, I always have a problem because when I said a social transformation or social condition, people see society as uh, me and you and together. So they see social as inter interpersonal uh, relationship. And very often I'm arguing that people see society as if we are living, we are individual in a vacuum and we are interacting with each other. For me, social can only be understood if you understand the, the structure of the, you know, how we organize, how we are organized in society to produce the future. Because we you know, just simply, we are one generation, next generation, next generation. How this generation goes through each other? How do we reproduce, produce the society? So there is a certain structure in society that has to be understood to see that we can change that. In the past, people were living in a certain way. Today, we live in one way. Is it possible to make it better? And I think that we have the morality today that allows us the morality and the intellectual capacity and the material conditions to be able to move forward. Capitalism is only historically specific. Right. Yes. It's not the end of humanity. It's just a step. For me, it's a step. It's not. It's not human society. It's a historically specific society that we have today. So how do we? So the, for me, that's what the left is missing: is the, the the understanding. What are the structures and the conditions, material conditions, that allow us to be able to challenge that? But of course, you have also have on top of that, you have the social conflict that is uh, that we have to challenge. I mean, like I said, there is different groups uh, going to be uh, uh, a social conflict doesn't stop. So different groups challenging each other. And then we have to be involved in the social conflicts to be able to challenge that, to be able to change society. Do, do I make uh, I think I'm not very clear, but um, well, in, in a sort of sense, you're working through these ideas, and one of the things that you said is that you're you're reconsidering a lot of your positions, your assumptions. You know, this is you, especially after you write your first book. You know, you start to be like, wait, I said that. Mm, now I got to really think about that. Especially, so I guess I got a couple of questions that will take us away from the chat. There's a few things I plan on coming back to. I hope you will not be distracted by the chat. Um, it's really easy to be distracted by yes, yes, true. every little thing that they'll say, you know. Um, we'll come back to some of the things in the chat. Folks, I hope that you will also realize that um, if your questions are not answered here, your questions, to have your questions actually live and perhaps get responded to best, a lot of the times you need to come back and comment on the video later. Not on the live chat, but in the actual comment section so that, um, for instance, I could see Carl's question being one that has to be thought about more perhaps. But, but I've got questions that I've developed from reading this book, um, with my partner Anne, And so I definitely want to be able to get to a couple of those before we close out. And, uh, and then if there's a couple that are kind of, that we've seen that we're still thinking about, we might, we might get a chance to address them. But, um, I think the, one of the big questions for you now that you've 
written this book and you're working on at least another book, if not more than another. You say at the end of this book, you say that really what you hope is that you've that you've renewed and 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 sort of launched an, an ongoing discussion that you know, hopefully people will 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 engage in this discussion that it won't just end there. And I one of the things that I appreciate about your critically nuanced approach to all of these things is that you don't just come into the discussion with your set of you know, you've you've got it all figured out, and now you're just trying to convince everybody you've got it all figured out. It's a lot, you know. Instead, you go, well, both sides are wrong. Here's some reasons why both sides are wrong. The solutions being offered right now are insufficient because the solutions we would need would have to do X, Y, and Z things. So, so you know, and you're clearly thinking, okay, so what would that be then? What would that look like? And you're not coming along as a dictator saying, I have it now. Here's the solutions. But one of my questions for you as an author and as a thinker or as an academic as well, you've, you, you know, you, you focused on science for a long time. You didn't want to really be a part of the race discourse, um, but that became impossible to avoid, especially once you lived in the United States and then you were shocked by the sort of level of this discourse. Um, and so you, this is your first foray, foray, I don't even know how to say that word, foray into you know, into the conversation of race and politics. So what is, uh, what are some of those things that have changed for you because you've been researching? What are some of the problems that you are thinking through? It doesn't have to be, oh, you believe this and now you believe something different, but it could be more like, here's a problem. It's a hard problem. You're trying to think through it or just maybe a way that your research is changing you. It's a very loaded question, so I could rephrase it if you want me to. No, it's a big question. Um, Basically, you're asking what kind of ideas I've moved on from the book, basically. Yeah, kind of where is this going? Yeah, for you. I have to say that if I talk about the book, I will say that in the book, I was still very much of a liberal. (laughs) Oh, really? (laughs) Yes. I moved on from uh, some of the liberal um, position that I have. <laughs> I, I, I'm going to compare myself to Marx, you know, started a liberal, but I'm, I'm okay. Uh, uh, no, um, yeah, the, the book is not as, not as radical that, uh, uh, as I am now. Um, um, since the book, anyway, I, I, I did more um, research on identity politics because um, when I talk about identity politics, most of the, like I said uh, before, most of the people will only look at uh, left identity politics. And I, tr- and I try to understand why is it, uh, first of all, I disagree with that, but also why is it that identity politics has become such uh, um, basically is there is there a possibility to have politics outside identity politics? That's what one of the questions was there, and I think it's true. Uh, and so for me, it was like also understanding what is politics. Why is it so important for humanity to have politics? Uh, why is it that uh, some people are arguing that we are in an hyper political uh, um, um, hyper political uh, um, um, century? There is too much politics today. I disagree. And I wanted to uh, understand 
actually what is seen as politics, what's wrong with that. So, uh, at the moment, I'm doing a lot of um, thinking around. Basically, I came, to, uh, I came to the idea that identity politics is the politics of the status quo and the politics of the capitalist society. And the reason why I'm arguing that is, and so because some people will say, well, if you're saying that, then when people were doing politics in aristocracy or uh, in the Greek society, they were also doing uh, through their um, identity. But I, I think that the issue of identity was not the issue that it used to be in the past until it became a... Uh, um, so basically, the importance of identity comes from the fact that we don't have um, a society where you are born into your identity. So when you are in a feudal society, for example, you are born a peasant and you die a peasant. You are born an aristocrat and you die an aristocrat. We are in a modern world where you can be uh, born as a uh, working class and die as the Queen of England, basically, uh, in one way. And surely that's what happened. Maybe with uh, Kate, for example, she the she could become uh, she she could start from being a commoner what i say and then finish with uh, being uh, uh, the queen who knows the queens of uh, england so uh, the identity that we have uh, um not as um fixed uh, but because we are also uh, in a very individualized world the identity becomes such an important issue so for me i'm trying to understand why is it that identity politics has become such important and what's the barrier uh, to social transformation, what what's cre what does it create? Uh, I don't know. I, I'm not very um, clear. Um, I, 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 I'm I'm trying to I'm trying to in one way. If you look at it, I'm trying to revive politics through challenging identity politics and through challenging the idea that upper. Uh, that we are living in a hyper-political world, because for me, what is called politics today, it's not. I agree with, for example, uh, Anna, Anna Aron, when she argued that politics cannot be politics without the issue of freedom. And I think it's it's true. The, it, not in freedom in the sense of as if freedom it was the same thing, because for me, when I look at no, notions, notions are always socially and historically uh, specific in the sense of the notion of freedom in the past is not the same as it's today. It cannot be the same. Human beings in the past are not the same as human beings today. We make ourselves, so we change. But the issue of making a world human, more human, I think is an important part of politics. And if you have a, a, a politics today where it's talking about how many uh, sausages you have in your in the lunchbox of a kid, you don't talk freedom. You talk necessities, everyday life. And do you see what I'm trying to uh, say? Is that I'm trying to I'm trying to I'm trying to understand and to uh, I'm trying to sorry my my husband is just showing me the food and I'm talking about basically food, but I'm trying to understand the the ideas and the the barriers for us to change. The books is about the book is about hope, and I'm following that. I have the hope, but hope is not enough. What are the intellectual and social barriers to hope, to change? Mm -hmm. 
And, and the understanding of politics and, and other politics is one of the problems. Uh, no, I'm not, I, I, I'm not I, optimist, but... Uh, you, you asked, you know, if you're making sense and you said that you, you'd, you don't think you are, or, you know, at one point, I think you're doing fine. I think what people are hopefully going to take away from uh, your answer to this last question was, is that um, you've really got your work cut out for you, that it's not easy. And I think, you know, personally, anybody who thinks that the answers are easy is obviously a lot deeper in ideology than they might realize, right? In, in, the, in, the, sense of, in, the, sen in the sense of you've bought into or so, sort of subscribed to a set of scripts, you know, pre-programmed answers to questions. That's not the same thing as genuinely thinking through or as, uh, as Hegel says, struggling with the concept, right? So I, I'm, I, I really look forward to what you're doing, uh, to seeing where it goes, um, and to thinking through these barriers to human freedom, specifically to the kinds of freedom that you're talking about, uh, people's ability to develop their capacities and our collective potential, which is currently obviously completely overdetermined and monopolized in a lot of ways by these apparatuses of capture, institutions, you know, pre-scripted, pre-programmed modes that get called politics that are arguably not politics that ultimately just give us a sense of representation when that's a delusional sense because we're not represented by these systems, right? So... Um, I mean, somebody said the end of humanity is Star Trek. Yeah, I I, I love uh, um, sci-fi too. So for me, uh, I'm thinking that you know a lot of people. Uh, you were also telling me about my book, uh, the title sorry, of my book. I'm going to remind you of that. You said that the title of my book was what was the word you said? Um, basically, uh, corny. Uh, Okay, I, Connie, voila, voila, I, I forget. Connie? What does it mean by Connie? I even went to check the the, the, the definitions. Like, I, oh, no. They are called my, the title of my book, Connie. But, uh, but you, in fact, you're right. But, um... Oh, no, uh, I just looked up the definition. It's Honestly, it sounds way worse when you read the definition, which is trite, ben, ben, banal, or banal, however you say that word, or mawkishly sentimental... Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, uh, for, oh my God! How dare! No, 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 seriously. No, no, the 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 title was on purpose. I mean, I explained to you why I chose the title. But um, uh, it's for me. It's like maybe I'm also uh, uh, I'm a sci-fi person. Maybe left sci-fi, but this idea that is it is possible to uh, when you look at the. The, the humanity in the beginning and at the end, we, for me, I'm looking at, for me, I love human. I mean, I, I'm, I, I think that we have, we have done so much and there is still a possibility and we, we, we keep remaking, remaking ourselves and changing. Yes, there is some good things and bad things, but the, 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 just the possibility of, for us, the possibility that we have to make ourselves is, for me, is, is such a wonderful thing. So. I'm thinking, why is it that we cannot imagine the world as human, not as French, German, black, white, female, but as human? 
so Star Trek, you know, human humanity going outside in the in the stars and meeting other aliens. I mean, you can have all the imagination, but you know, what is it possible? This is how I look at politics. It's, uh, as a human politics, it is possible to have human politics and universal politics, and I I, I try to to see what's the barrier to that. Uh, maybe I'm too much into sci-fi. Who knows? But. No, no, I think it's a, a, you know, and after you explain the title, your, uh, your choice, you know, your thinking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought, you know, that's fair. Yeah. I hope that this book will be one that, uh, a person who is getting into politics or who got swept up into politics in the last few years, especially a person who has been reading a lot of the anti-racist literature, the stuff that's very popular, the stuff that's being pushed at them in the bestsellers lists, you know, a person who's trying to do their best. I I hope that they will read this, right, as a sort of corrective measure. Um, Because, and earlier when I asked, you know, how would you characterize the current moment? uh, I, and I think that you thought, well, there's a lot of positions, they're not all the same. I, I, I think I could, I will, I allow me to characterize the current discourse and then you can you can you can correct me if I'm because I am I am going to oversimplify the mm-hmm. the Kimber Max Kendi, Robin D'Angelo, um who's that guy who said that D'Angelo is like the uh you said that he says that she's the uh, new sheriff in town. This- uh, uh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um Michael Dyson. Yeah, Michael Eric Dyson. Yeah, as well as you know, as uh, uh, Kimberly Crenshaw, um, as opposed to the sort of mm, Glenn Laurie, uh, John McWhorter, uh, you know, F A I R uh, kind of push to counter that whole thing. I, I would just characterize it as this. It really basically boils down to, on the one side, you're racist if you do not become an anti-racist activist. And that's and, and anti and that's that's Kendi. It's also D'Angelo. Um and it's the and it's the idea that and what they mean by anti-racist is they mean that you need to cultivate self-aware racial consciousness in every dynamic that you have with other people. And if you're not doing that, then you're racist because you are participating in and benefiting from and or somehow playing into systemic racism, which they define as statistical um, negative um, outcomes for uh, for groups, uh, specifically racialized groups. So, um, but I, I think the key point here is the, the thing about racialized consciousness as opposed to, and the thing that they are often fighting against, um, is what they call colorblind racism, um, which you kind of alluded to earlier. You said you're not, you're not a colorblind racist or you're not for being colorblind, um, which is the idea. Oh, I don't see race. Right. And I don't think even the Glenn Lorries of the world are so simplistic that they would say, oh, I don't see these things, but they, I guess, uh, their position is basically, oh, this is, uh, identity politics is bad. It's being used by the left to, to turn away from the, the most important issues. Um, we need to just combat 
critical race theory, you know, and, and, and that, you know, the point is the content of a person's character, not their, you know, not their identity. And I think that for a person who's, who's seen that as being the two sides would say, well, then how, how is Dr. Louis, uh, De Soli, um, not just that other side of the, you know, you, the, how are you different than the conservative response to the, the you must cultivate racial consciousness in a self-aware way in every one of the situations that you have with other people? How, how, you how, know that, uh, you know that I started to agree a little bit with, um, um, Glenn Dory. Um, I, I, um, I discovered him on Facebook from other people. And, uh, but like you said, they are conservative. And, uh, and so, and, but when you, re when you talk, when you hear Glenn Lowry, for example, discussing, and uh, John Walton um, and others, they're talking about my people. And I think for me, when, they, when you talk about my people, you are also based on the same point of view as others. You basically, that's what I said, is they are all into racial thinking, they just have different positions. And I disagree with both positions. I disagree with the idea that uh, uh, of uh, Candy saying that uh, basically, basically, he's put, putting the all the white people as responsible, uh, so individuals responsible for the situation, and they all have to do something about it. Otherwise, they are racist. So you have to act. Otherwise, you're racist. So you're putting the blame on individuals. And Glenn Laurie and others, the conservative, is uh, not the only one. There is also this young guy. I can't remember all. I have problems with names, but uh, there is quite a few of them conservative. If you are a conser black conservative, you are uh, very popular with the anti-woke, what you call anti-woke uh, crowd. So so in the beginning, I was uh, I, I had become popular with uh, some of the anti-woke crowd because I was challenging black identity. But when I started to challenge other identity, I said they suddenly really realized I was a little bit too left for the anti-woke crowd. Ah. And when the black conservatives are, yes, this is how I started. It's because I challenged uh, um, not a black identity. Black identity is good when you're other people. When you're black, challenging black identity, you can be part of the anti-woke crowd. But if you challenge white identity or any identity, national identity, then you become uh, a too much of a left wing for the uh, conservative. So anyway, but the, the black conservatives are also wrong because what they are saying is that the culture, I mean, they are arguing that, uh, you know, the blacks are, uh, if there was, um, they're killing each other and uh, if they change their culture, if they have more families and less uh, men uh, making babies, so what they're basically saying is that they also put the blame on 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 the uh, groups of people for the social problems. So both of groups are putting the blames on individuals, on individuals and on individual groups for the social issues. Right. One is saying the white people are responsible and that they have to do something about the world about racism, and the other one is saying, well, if the blacks have better culture. Uh, or work harder, you know, they will, you know, this is wrong. Right. Both of them. Uh, right. I'm not a conservative because, like I said, the conservative don't see society, and I'm not a progressive because they are using racial identity, sorry, racial thinking to promote basically racist ideas in one way. 
Because if you if you're saying that just because you're white you're racist, then this is racist idea. You're doing the same as what other people used to do. But one of the things I found in Candy is that um, I just recently um, understood him. You know, he had written uh, an article and he was asking uh, uh, for institutions and uh, uh, groups of uh, people like him to be involved in making institutions and decide if a law or, or, or policies would be racist or not. So basically, he was asking for his own uh, power, yeah? Right. And, and, and to change the policies and the laws. And, uh, and, and this is, of course, a lot of uh, conservatives were reacting to it because it was like saying, well, hold on a minute. So basically, you, because you're black, you're going to decide whether or not a law or policies is right or wrong. And that's based on his point of view. It's not because he wants to necessarily uh, uh, is thinking that all whites have to be uh, are enemies, because his argument is a little bit more sophisticated than uh, 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 like the, what's the name of the woman that you were mentioning? D'Angelo. Um, yeah, the, this this woman is just you know, uh, uh, he's a bit more, so, more sophisticated than uh, than her because he's arguing that it's the it's the policies and the laws that are creating this issue, the issue. And that's why he, as a black person and of the other people, has to be involved in changing the policies and the laws to fight against racism. So it's a little bit more sophisticated than those people who are arguing that just, you know, because you're white, uh, you're racist. You see what I mean? Yeah. Uh, one of the conservative arguments is always they're saying that all those progressives are racist because they think all the whites are racist. But this is not exactly true. Right, but they're still wrong. Right, and they're still putting, they're they're still putting the problems of the social issue onto an identity group. On that level, so right. the understanding of it, and they don't challenge the issue of race. None of them challenge the issue of race. Right, like the only I issue, of, the only reason the time the type of people who challenge the issue of race are, are the one who are doing psychologically, who are arguing let's forget about race, and that's a a psychological education way of thinking, which also, for me, is not right. 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 And I want to talk about psychology just a little bit. Um, but the... Have you read Shelby Steele's uh, White Guilt? Yeah. Yep. Uh, no. no. No, I read uh, his... Um, yeah. I mean, is the title of his book is White Guilt? Yeah. I read him. As, uh, wasn't that the... Who wrote the one on diversity? Ah, yes, I think it's white guilt. Yeah, I read him and I read also a Walter Ben Michaels. Both of them I like. Yes, and I, I really like Walter Ben Michaels. Um, from what I've been able to tell so far, somebody brought that up in the comments, was saying that he's really mm -hmm. good for talking about um, this this focus on, on privilege within, you know, ultimately how it becomes a sort of, uh, this sort of legitimation narrative for, for meritocracy. Um, but the and, and that that whole thing is very interesting too. But no, so but Shelby Steele, I don't know what his politics are. I don't know. All I can you know, I haven't done any research into him as an individual. I, I think his book was just on a list of books about the topic, and I looked into it. But I think he's actually a good example of the limitations of the standard um, uh, response to the woke identity politics approach, because he. I think that he's onto something when he says that white guilt and black power kind of came about as the new mode at the same time after civil rights as like this idea that, you know, interpersonally uh, a black person can get empowerment and a sort of 
interpersonal reparations by a white person putting themselves down and that black uplift comes from a white person putting their self down. And I'm like, yeah, I, I can definitely see how that's a big part of the mode today. But then, you know, he, he part of his his narrative, because he keeps talking about his these tr sort of transformative experiences when he was involved in black power, when he first became when, when uh, I think he talks about going to see this comedian, some famous comedian who was giving a talk. On on and it was it was a very angry talk about how, basically, if you believe in personal responsibility in this system, then you're actually part of the problem. And he's like, this guy's talking about my dad. My dad, you know, took you know being responsible, hardworking black man very seriously, and but for him, he became he said it was ecstatic. He was relieved by this idea that white people do not have the more the the moral high ground from which to talk about responsibility and that more importantly any kind of responsibility in the system is you know throw it out it's garbage and so he felt relieved he felt empowered by that and he says later in life he kind of realized he had swallowed a or he kind of he had signed up for a bad a, ba uh, a bad bill of goods um and that but his emphasis becomes actually responsibility is the solution. Actually, black people do need to take responsibility. And so here you have it. You know, it's it's like halfway there, but then he still falls into what you're saying. He still falls into saying that that well, it's it really boils down to it he actually kind of says this blacks are responsibility for their own uplift, right? And so now he's talking about my people this, my people that again, and we just need to be more responsible, which kind of brings it right back into this whole conservative, this conservative narrative about how, oh, we're responsible for our own, we're responsible for poverty now, right? So mm -hmm. that's uh, that, uh, often, like, it seems like their critique gets halfway there. I guess my big question, you, you mentioned Dr. Adolf Reed earlier, though, his position is obviously not, you know, he doesn't, bring it back to responsibility and such. Um, he, he has a little bit more, I think, of a, of a Marxist basis. Um, when Who? You, Sorry, I didn't hear the name. Dr. Adolf Reed, Jr. I guess the... Okay. Because uh, the sounds is not as good. Okay, carry on. But did you... So you had, you had mentioned him earlier um, when you had said something about class reductionism. Were you saying that he is a class reductionist or were you saying that you know, you read his article on how class reductionism is a myth, or, or uh, what was the context you were bringing up, Dr. Adolf Reed Jr.? It's, no, it's, uh, uh, it's because uh, people accuse him. This is one of the accusations against Adolf Reed. Oh, okay. Uh, uh, that he is a class reductionist because he's arguing, um, basically, he's arguing class uh, um, quite a lot. Um, so he's basically, for example, he's looking at uh, university students and showing that basically it's a class thing. You know, the the black students going to universities are um, uh, very much into upper class, uh, middle class, upper class. So he's uh, he's using um, the issue of class quite a lot as a way of challenging um, uh, the some of the racial uh, uh, politics. Uh, not racial, racial politics that others um, are arguing. So one of the accusations that that is being labeled um, is being a class reductionist, and I think it's wrong to call uh, somebody a ra ra class reductionist unless you're only talking about class. 
because uh, uh, people basically saying that you have to counter um, counter counter uh, 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 race with class. That's what uh, the argument is about, as if it was two separate um, uh, notion, two separate issue. I see. Class and, and race is linked at the end of the day. You right. cannot separate class and 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 and, and class. So you can se you cannot separate race and class in that way. Right. Uh, a lot of the uh, working uh, working class. So a lot of the blacks were working class. I mean, now you have some middle class, uh, upper class. But if you were black or some minorities, you are also working class. Right. So it's you cannot just contrapose class with race. I just wanted to make sure that we we clarified that because earlier when you'd referenced his name, I wasn't sure uh, what you were saying. So that's that's good. Thank you for that. And I would say, yeah, I don't. I, if anybody who calls him a class reductionist, I mean, but he was he was canceled in 2020 by the DSA. Um, yes, I don't. Perfect example of of why we can't have nice things on the left, right? This is. <laughs> uh, uh, He's obviously an important person right now. The pe more people should read. So, all right. Is there anything else from the chat that you want to address before we close this thing out? I know you've got some food uh, that your husband has prepared. I'm sure you are getting hungry by now. No, he didn't know what he did. It's, it's not that he has some food. He came. He came to sh show me that he was eating. Oh. <laughs> it's like you. I'm eating now. Thanks. <laughs> anyway, I, I, it's a joke between me and my husband. It's, uh, sorry. Oh no worries. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, yes. So he basically showed me that he's eating, not waiting for me. And but I have to say I am hungry. It's nine o'clock for for me, yeah. Nine o'clock at night. Nine PM for you. Okay. Yeah, and I haven't eaten since uh, lunchtime. Okay, yeah, you probably should go get some food here pretty soon, huh? And and for you too, no, is it lunchtime no for you? It's lunchtime for me now, right. I had a little granola for breakfast. But I, uh, it's and with some berries in it, some fresh berries. That was nice. But yeah, no, it's uh, we we should probably wrap this up. I look forward to hopefully having a conversation someday in the future when I've read, uh, reread your work and a bunch of other work in this, and we've had time to think about this and the questions that people have raised in chat. For anybody who did not have a response, uh, did, you did not get your question responded to just yet. Make sure to ask the question again in the actual comment section for this live stream, because. Uh, I'm sure uh, Christine will have an opportunity to look at it again in the future and think about it some more, either respond in the comments or in the future on stream. Um, and obviously I'll be thinking about this stuff as well and we'll come back to it. Because like you said, you wanted to get this conversation going. We need to have a serious conversation about what it would mean to radically transform society in a way. You say abolishes class. I like to say abolishes bullshit jobs and shitty jobs. Um, Right. Abolish, abolish is <laughs> Ab uh, uh, abolishing bullshit jobs and oh. shitty jobs. Right. And there's still, I imagine in any society, there will still be job. There's, there will still be work to do, you know, but the question is, is how much of that can be automated and made not your entire life? Yeah. I, I, I'm not, I'm not against job uh, as such. I mean, um, I, uh, you know, that, um, and I agree with, uh, oh God, I have a problem with name today. But I was uh, reading this Marxism and something else with, uh, oh God. Um, anyway, 
So uh, I'm not against job as such. Uh, I think uh, any um, most of most of humanity wants to be active. So to you know, you know, one of the reasons that uh, gardening, I imagine, is so popular amongst retirement people, retired people. It's because you, you know, and I, I am one of, and I'm not retired, but I'm getting old. I'm, I'm getting so old. When I started to love gardening, I'm thinking, oh my God, I'm part of this middle-aged old woman. I'm getting old because, you know, the beauty of a gardening and it's, it's, it's the product. You, you know, you, you work and you have a product in your hands. Uh, I used to be a chambermaid. Um, like I said, I was a, I had a working class background, so I, I worked on a, a lot of, of those uh, casual labor market. And but um, even if I love reading and writing, when I was a chubber maid, um, I liked the job in the sense of you clean and you see the product of your activity. Right. And uh, I, I think that this is what humans will. Uh, we, I, I can't imagine a society where we don't we do not have an activity because that's what uh, you know. This is important for humanity. The problems of a job today is that you are, are, are we are producing, and we do not get the uh, uh, benefits of our production, uh, the product of the producing activity. So we there is a dissociation between our producing activity and the and the, the result, right? The benefits and the enjoyment of our productive activity. I think this is more of a so that's what for me is that it's it's not that we don't want to work in the future i, I think we 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 want to work it's it's how we enjoy our, our, our activity how we enjoy uh, our, our life basically uh, the freedom to be able to uh, produce something for the uh, the joy of doing it for example do we, you know, if you're an artist, do you you would like to be able to produce a painting without having to worry about uh, how much it will cost and how much uh, you can get out of it? Right. Those... Well, and I've I've said, you know, there's a lot of these high-paying, salaried, sort of PMC positions that, like priest and professor and journalist, uh, for instance, that that it serves a social function that would be necessary in any society. But, you know, the the point is, is like, uh, we live in a society currently where someone's still got to clean the toilets, someone still has to dig the ditches, someone still has to tend to the sugar cane, the coffee beans, and that that is currently that person's entire social destiny. That person does not have a way out of that. Um... You know, and the, the current education system almost serves just to leave people with the impression that, oh, no, you deserve this because you didn't earn A's all the way through, blah, blah, blah. You know, so people will still do the, the thing. You know, we would still need yoga instructors in that in that in, you know, in any future. We would still need professors. We would still need. We still need. Th these are roles that people will still feel called to. The question is, do they deserve do they act should a person actually be able to think oh i'm above doing basic chores oh no i'm yeah, the but, I mean, no but your your problem now is that you're looking at uh, manual labor as something which is demeaning and that's the thing is that is the the social division that we have today had to be explained 
by showing that the intellectual work is more important than the or, or more not even more, uh, more important but also more human uh, better more kind of you know something that you want to do more you know the intellectual work is put above the marginal work but this is why why should it be why is cleaning your toilet uh, uh, um, uh, seen as worse than reading a book and writing an article, an article for a journal that you're going to be paid twenty dollar for an article or whatever, and then uh, you clean and you will see yourself as more uh, socially better than somebody's cleaning toilet for this same amount of, of of money, because manual labor was the labor that was given to the uh, working class, the the lower working class, mm-hmm. and the, the 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 manual labor is basically it's been. Um, uh, put or understood as the labor that is demeaning, and the intellectual labor is the labor of the higher class or the middle class or the upper class as the good uh, thing. But it's not intrinsic, the value of the manual labor and intellectual labor, it's not intrinsically good or bad. No, it's, no, no. It's that we're in a society that is being bad. So I'm thinking in a, soci- in a new society, Cleaning the toilet, if somebody wants to clean the toilet, I don't see it as more demeaning or, or not. It's more like when we are a worker, you have to sell your labor to be able to live. So it's not exactly what you do uh, that is a problem, it's that you have to sell your labor to be able to live and you get a wage. Uh, I think for me, it's, that the, it's the problem. Uh, if in a new society somebody wants to spend their day cleaning the toilet, Great. Yeah. I mean, I, Hey, if I could, uh, if I could, if, if I could thrive in a society, just cleaning toilets, I would, I would listen to audio. <laughs> I would listen to audiobooks. I would clean toilets. But the question is, uh, well, I mean, my point would be, I, I don't think I, that should be, that should, that should not consume my, all of my energy. I should still have energy and time to do other things still. Right. Um, the, the way things currently yeah, but the, the reason the reason yeah. why you consume your energy is, is because of the low, lower la- wage so the the people have to sell their labor and they get a wage and they have to work and and in in places where people are very poor they have to work long hours to be able to get enough right. of a wage to be able to live right so it's not necessarily the it's it's the whole system of selling your labor it's well, not the and, job itself right no and, and i've I, just to also be clear i've also done this work, you know, like, so I, uh, I cleaned an inn, Clean you know, your toilets. <laughs> I cleaned toilets and changed bed yeah. sheets at an inn. Um, you know, and so most, almost all the jobs I've had were in the construction or food oh. services, but I did work at a hotel or a motel, um, you know, just doing this basic, but it's, you're right. It, you work so long, you have to work so many hours, um, and, and you have no energy left, uh, with what little mm-hmm. time you have left. And so that really, that that is the fundamental issue, I think, for me, um, for a lot for anybody stuck doing that kind of work. Yeah, it's it's yeah. the idea that oh, it's lesser. It's uh, no, I would you know, it's obviously essential. It's it, it's uh, we all we all presuppose that kind of labor, and I think a lot of people get their sense of status though by being above these other forms of labor, and it's like these are essential forms of labor. Why you're not above that, right? So. Yeah, I mean, I mean, just think about it. 
the when uh, when we had I mean the COVID during the COVID things, you saw some of the badly paid job are the most essential jobs for us. Right. I, I, imagine a cities with no cleaners. Mm-hmm. You would not want to live in a society where people don't clean the street. No. And the people doing the uh, you know the plumbery and cleaning the street is not the most um, enjoyable uh, job you know at the end of the day. But they are essential. So there is, uh, but they are seen as uh, small jobs, badly paid jobs, bad jobs. Uh, if you're a cleaner, a, a street cleaner, you're not seen as an intellectual. You, you know, you, you know, this is kind right. of. Right. But they are essential uh, jobs for in a, in a social world. Uh, essential jobs. The one who who could not go and stop working in factories producing because you know we, the world is not only the West. There is also other world. All, all these people um, around the world working in factories were still carry on working in factories because they had to produce things or working on in the field. The farmers or or, or you know people picking uh, fruit. They still had to work. Their essential job. Hundred percent. I think. Uh, well, hopefully that th- that'll be one of the takeaways from the whole COVID period for people is the realization that uh, that there is such a thing as essential labor. That society actually has these base minimum requirements for its reproduction, and that uh, those are honorable things. Those are honorable th- honor- honorable occupations in a sort of sense. But also, yeah, uh, I also don't think the solution is simply to destigmatize it and to make it so it, you know, a person gets yeah. paid, gets paid more. Uh, they also need to have free time and they also need to have time yeah. for their friends and their family and to do other things. And so, yeah. yeah. But, uh, all right, well, I think we're at the point, though, that we had agreed to call this off so i thank you so much for joining us from all the way in germany um and for thank uh, you for inviting me yeah so i hope you'll have a have a good dinner (laughs) (laughs) thank you for reading your book and thank you for inviting me and thank you for discussing it was very enjoyable thank you and i'm sorry i talk a lot you took you you caught me in the day where i was talking you know all day i was saying to my uh, husband's name is andreas i was saying andreas I don't think I'm in the mood for talking today. I'm not sure how I'm going to talk for two hours. It's impossible. Now, uh, I was wrong. Oh, good. That's good. And, and, yeah, and, too if, much now. and if you ever if you ever feel like you just really want to go off and vent or rant or, or theorize or develop your ideas and you, you need an outlet, just message me and say, hey, I'm, I've got the itch. Let's do it. And we'll, we'll do it again. Okay. <laughs> Thank you very much. Yes, take care. And everybody in the chat, thank you so much for joining. Uh, Thank you for the questions. Thank you for the engagement. Make sure to ask your questions again in the comment sections of this live stream that will be available after this conversation. And I look forward to doing more of these in the future uh, with Dr. Christine Louis de Soli. Make sure to check out her first book, Transcending Racial Divisions, Will You Stand By Me? It's a zero books. But, well, it's probably the, one of the most important books that's been published by Zero Books. Yeah, I, I say it's in the top five without a doubt. It's in the yeah, probably the top three. So get on it and, uh, and go check it out. You're very nice. <laughs> Thank All you right. very much. Yes. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.